0: welcome back to side quest it is March 20th 2022 my name is Eric Peterson. joining me today mr. Zach Fawley. hello 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 how are you Zach I'm good how are you we're here we're here we made it we, we, we I don't know if this is the first side quest of the year but it it's a side quest. Yeah, I mean, I feel like just being over the
1: age of 40, I've achieved a lot now. Like, I survived a lot. You know, the Gulf War, Tupac, COVID, it's been crazy. <laughs> so, just that we made it, and I got to play
0: Elden Ring before I died, you know, like, I'm good. <laughs> Jeez, just spoilers. That's going to be the show. That's that's all this is going to be, is just the show, but we've, we'll have we get through, we'll get to that in a minute. Sure. Um, I apologize for, if, if I don't know how any of this is going to turn out because I'm in the midst, like the throes of selling my house. And my realtor said, Hey, you know that bedroom upstairs that's an office, and the office that's downstairs that's a game room. You know what would make the house look more appealing to a buyer is that <laughs> if that looked like a bedroom. <laughs> And the downstairs looked like an office. I went, but then where's the game room? He went, maybe want to pack that up. That feels very
1: judgy. That feels like a real letter telling all your life choices are wrong here.
0: I mean, just. But (laughs) he had a point, and I stopped and thought about it and went, oh, well, if they take pictures and post that publicly, then people know what I have to break in. So. Let's change it up, but now my office downstairs does not have a door. And I have kids and a wife who make noise. (laughs) So today I am upstairs in the guest room, like sitting side saddle on a bed with a laptop on a small end table with this microphone. Like the, the laptop is offsetting the weight of the microphone trying to tip it over. My whole goal is to make it through this with my back in one piece and my coffee not having spilled on my laptop. That's it. That's all I care about. I feel like that's
1: a low bar that you could definitely hit. I mean, it's not guaranteed. Uh, It's like you've been through real estate lately, so you're used to just uncertainties, and maybe I'll just lose all my money and die.
0: Dude. So we did this in the pandemic, and I need to be like, semi-careful about what I say, simply because we're still under contract with stuff. But um, we sold our other house the summer of 20 when the housing market, like, decided, you know what? It might be kind of fun to go crazy. And it started to go a little nuts. And we sold our other house for, like, 80000 over what we paid. Like, this is great. I thought I missed out on the, the housing boom of The 2010s, so maybe I'll get a little piece of that. And we bought our, but you know, if you if you sell high and you move within the same area, you have to buy high. Like all right, whatever. You know, at least I'm now able to afford a house I really like. Well, then this happened. Like, well, here we go again. And my neighbors across the street sold for quite a bit more than than they paid. We bought it right around the same time. Like, oh, that'd be really nice to like at least be able to get that. And then the housing market went up like another twenty five percent, and went, "Oh, this is great!" So we sold. But what's really good is that we're moving to a market now where, yes, the market back there is going crazy too, but it's at it's at a much lower level because it's much more rural. You're not in a metropolis area, so the houses here that are like seven, eight hundred, there are like three to four. So. I'm selling high and yes, I'm buying high, but in a different market. So we somehow managed and I don't I don't know how I did this two times in a row, but I I somehow managed to sell a house and buy a house on the exact same day, two times in a row. Yeah, that's never happened to me
1: in my entire life. I'm extraordinarily jealous of just the idea of that happening because it feels like
0: you're lying about it, but I know it's true. So like that's crazy. My, My realtor called me on. Friday, Friday morning, first thing, and said, hey, uh, offer accepted on the house back in Wisconsin. Cool. And then a little bit later, my other realtor called me and went, hey, offer confirmed on your house. (laughs) Cool. Huge weight lifted. And now it's just that crushing stress of like, how am I going to fit all this shit in a couple trucks and make it back?
1: Oh, man. Yeah. And then just like the months and months of pre-sorting and
0: packing everything. God. We've been doing that since November. Ugh. So we are living like bare-bones poppers at the moment, and I finally stripped down my entire game room. I actually didn't have to go through any of the normal home sale process. And for those of you who don't know how much that sucks, it sucks. Yeah. Having to, like, schedule showings and leave. Uh, We worked with a company that did it completely. It was technically on market, but we sold it before it even hit market. So... It was a really, really smooth experience, and, like, it's, it wasn't super stressful, but now the stress of continuing to pack, because, like, the last 10% of packing a house is the worst. It's like, do I really need this? <laughs> and then you, because, like, you've been super meticulous up to this point, and finally you're just like, just shove it in a fucking box and toss it <laughs> on the truck. I don't care.
1: See, that's how the any box ends up in the any room. <laughs> yeah. And There's I always room acre. when you move, like, ah, fuck it, I don't know where this goes yet. <laughs>
0: I bought a label maker. I'm labeling everything meticulously and like that's starting to fade off. So I don't know. So it's, it's all just going to all going to go in the garage. But I showed you pictures of my new house and yep. it's still, you know, waiting to go under contract. But it, there, there's really no reason it shouldn't go through. But Zach, it has a it has a theater room Oh, like the dream theater room with speakers built into the walls all the way around and in the ceilings. Dude. Oh, that's badass.
1: So it's like ready-made, okay. so you're not even going to have to like spend the 10 days of planning and wiring and all
0: that. That's awesome. Nope, it's ready-made.
1: Good Man, to excellent. go.
0: Hang up my hang up my projector. I think what I want to do is I want to take I've, I since I work in the industry, I've got some friends at uh, a screen company. I'm going to see if they can get me like either a returned or a, a semi-damaged in-ceiling recessed screen. Yeah. And then hang that cuz I don't I don't want to game like 24/7 on a projector. Right. So I want to get like a big 86-inch OLED, slap it on the wall. But then behind the theater room, there's a massive storage room where I want to build a rack and put all the equipment so it's like minimalist in that room. And then do like a cutout in the wall for a rack where you can put all your consoles and stuff like that. Excellent. Um, but put a put a big OLED on the wall and then have a ceiling drop-down projector screen and then have the projector in the, the storage room behind with a little cutout glass screen to shine through.
1: Yeah, I get to have TV talk again. Shit, I'm going to buy yes. a TV again. <laughs> no, I I, the, I think you know, that's a solid plan. And I th- I think for like a game playing space, having two displays is at minimum is always a good idea. And then you know, for older games, I've always sort of professed the
0: idea that having a CRT is the best thing for those. So I think you're set up. See, that's awesome. That's that's the other thing I was gonna I was thinking about was. CRTs are great unless you can afford this one very, very specific and highly expensive piece of equipment, and I can't remember what it's called, that takes all of that and takes all of the inputs from old consoles and converts it properly into a signal that an HD display can d- can uh, project. Ah, accurately. you're talking about a mister. Yeah. Those are... Uh... Yeah,
1: those are... That those are complex little devices, but they are absolutely great if you can go that route, and if you want to go through the expense of it. I th- I think they're they're fabulous. They are a little like they don't make a Mister that's just kind of ready made, and you know you plug it in and it works. <laughs> it takes yeah. lots of tinkering, no. it, but it's like the Raspberry Pi in that way that you know
0: it's going to be a little while until you get it right. But once you do, I'm I'm sure you'll get great results out of that. Because that'd be really neat to have all the consoles on the back wall or something to that effect and have everything set up ready to play. But it's all just projected up onto one screen and not have to worry about having multiple TVs at the front. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to spend a bunch of time like planning this out because I, I said I was going to die in this house. I'm probably I don't want to move anymore. <laughs> After after having moved a a couple times in the last 10 years, I got to agree, like
1: even when we go to buy kind of our forever place, that's a a requirement that like once I
0: buy stuff and put it there, I'm never moving it ever again. You know, I'm just Just a little dot of super glue on the bottom (laughs) so that if you think about moving it, there's just enough resistance to remind you of like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't tug on this. Yeah, And you you could get it off if you wanted to, but like
1: you're going to ruin the paint and you should cover it in Poison Ivy as well. So, you know, you have like yes. a, a lasting reminder of what that's going to do to my body now to move a bunch of crap. Like I had to move my wife's Miss Pac-Man machine to clean behind oh. it, manage to scratch my wood floors and manage to like break my toe doing it. So, <laughs> or like set the thing on my toe doing it. So, yeah, I'm not moving shit anymore. I pay people. This is it for all of my younger audience and and friends and fans. I'll, I'll give you all the same advice. As you get older, you learn that the exchange of money that you have now in surplus because you've been doing the thing that you've been doing longer is all going to be spent on the convenience of having other
0: people so you can buy back your free time. Yes. <laughs> and your body. Oh god. <laughs> the only thing that I stand firm on that I don't pay people to do is is clean my house. Yeah, I'm getting to the point that that's starting to make sense. Not like a regular, you know,
1: like house cleaner or maid service, but like I really like the idea of somebody coming in once a month and, like, deep cleaning the toilets and, you know, yeah, cleaning like, out, takes... you know, like, my air filters and all that shit. I'm not saying that it t- takes a long time or it's necessarily hard to do those things. But having somebody come in and do them, I think, would aggregately free up, like, 60 minutes of my time a month. And that would be terrific. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. 60 minutes That's that true. I could just sit there and stare at a wall or play at a game
0: and not have to worry about cleaning a toilet sounds terrific but to like, me having people come in to just clean your kitchen and mop your floors and do your lawn. Come on. Like that's just part of being an adult.
1: Yeah. I I feel like if I could get a laundry service that was regular, that would just take my laundry and fold it and I could go pick it up. I would probably trade cash for that because I hate it. And I have lots of children. I I will remind you, You I have twice the children of you. So (laughs) like laundry, laundry is
0: a day, man. That's true. (laughs) You know what we should invest in, Zach? Oh. I got an idea. You just gave me an idea. Let's hear it. You know how there are arcade bars, right? What if we did an arcade laundromat? I think it could work. I I think as long as you have
1: somebody that you can just hand your laundry to and they go do it would be great. I think the minute you make it (laughs) coin-operated, like you attract the... uh, the, 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 the worst the, well not just the not not like a people problem but you attract the worst problems because now you have a bunch of devices with electricity and water all over the place and some of them are sensitive to water and some some of them are not <laughs> that's true that's a That's that's like when I first heard about water cooling a PC. Just like in my head, I was like, I'd like somebody else to do that for a long time to keep
0: my cup of water on the other side of the room. (laughs) Exactly. Now you're telling me to put it in the computer. (laughs) But I'm old as fuck. I'll remind you too, so I can
1: remember the days like when you went to burn a CD and basically you had to leave your home. You know (laughs) what happened because they were so sensitive. Do
0: (laughs) Do you physically remember the smell of a freshly burned CD? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Nothing beats that smell, yeah. Except like the fresh instruction manual of a PS1 game. Oh yeah, especially when it was a PlayStation One game, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because then you had this the the smell of the pl- the the hard cheap plastic, and then whatever smoky convenience store it was in. <laughs> my uh my
1: personal favorite was always clipping the little nibs off my jazz drives when they were filled, you know, <laughs> oh, <yeah.
0: laughs> my jazz discs. <laughs> you ever have a zip drive? Oh yeah. I had lots of... Before, zip- z- before zipping files was something you'd do on your computer, you had to have a special drive with special disks, and it held, like, the equivalent of 40 floppies. Yeah. So, it, it you know, it was... It was, like, 100 like, meg or something like that. meg? Yeah. It, it was ridiculous.
1: The the best but, part about yeah. those was that those cartridges went full-on, like, Blade Runner. Like, gone were the convenience of small floppy disks that you could, like, shove in a pocket and, like, these motherfuckers were cartridges. They were. They were, like, the beta <laughs> of floppy disks. Yeah. <laughs> You could kill somebody with one of these fucking things. I was <laughs> yeah, just say you could cause some serious injury if you threw that hard enough. But that's you know let's let's be fair. But that was back in the age when we had scuzzy drives and you know like yep. ED RAM and everything else was huge. I mean I I remember a Pentium two that I had that was cartridge slot based. Uh, so oh, it looked no. like a Nintendo sixty four cartridge with two big fans on it, and I thought like wow we're really dumbing things down here. <laughs> Thing weighed 45 pounds, you know. 7,000 watts. you just see the lights dim in your house when you turned it on. (laughs) That's just Zach firing up Oregon Trail. Oh, my God, yeah. I played a lot of early PC games, and I have to tell you confidently that I don't understand the attraction to them. Like, a lot of PC games from the early, early area. And I'm not talking about, like, the Baldur's Gate 97 and on era. I'm talking about, like... Early DOS games and games that were like halfway ports and not, you know, there are certainly exceptions to that. Because if you had a Commodore 64, Commodore 64 games are different than PC games.
0: But early PC games, early DOS games,
1: God, they were shit.
0: (laughs) Well, with one exception, and and I don't really know where this falls in line, but the the Apple G2. uh, All right, fair enough. was Was it the G2? The Apple II, whatever it was, had a game called Armor Alley. You remember that one? I do. I do. And you'd limp- have a yeah. <laughs> you were you were a helicopter. It was all white sprites. You were a helicopter, you'd fly up, and you'd have to go pick up uh soldiers from different spots while under fire from either tanks or anti aircraft or other foot soldiers, but you could only carry like four at a time and you'd have to pick them up take them back to base and then go pick up more and pick them up and take them back to base never been able to find that game that game is just ripe for a reboot
1: <laughs> it'd be cool if they did it in the style of uh what was that switch game it was mad something uh but it was all black and white and then the blood was like red so it was this really contrasty experience oh, yeah i cannot remember the name of that game yeah I I think everything after like the doom era became considerably better right like doom was really yeah, the doom first- was the yeah, is the turning point. Yeah, I think there were some great point and click games before that, and I, you know, I'm I'm not unfamiliar with like games like Commander Keen and all the original uh, King's Quest games or uh, whatever Lord British is Ultima. Sorry, the Lord British mm. games. Like, I get it. Like, those were great, but you really needed to work at a PC to make those work. Um, yeah. and like my experience was like after we got after right after doom like pc games kind of took off in a more mainstream way where you just got a, a
0: like a better diversity of games um and well, sure i think the yeah the first pc game that i had that really showed me like oh wow you know this is this is a thing is we bought a new compact and it had descent on it like oh shit you remember descent oh yeah 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 that was technically the precursor fun fact here for you that's a technically the precursor to the red faction series
1: oh yeah that's right because they were both made by uh uh volition volition um yeah i think everything as soon as there were real like the 3d accelerated era I, Mm -hmm. i was really super engaged because i will still go back and play like a copy of the original Unreal Tournament. Like, that is just a great yeah. game. Um yep. Quake and some of those are absolutely phenomenal. But I, I really didn't get into PC games until after the Accelerated Era. And I have some history there in, in my work history, too. But I, I definitely found that era to be um, a lot more of a, a golden age of PC gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and absolutely, I, I will say it wasn't until the PlayStation 2 era um, and PCs really started paying attention to specifically what the PlayStation 2 did. Because remember, PlayStation 2 was really the first gaming application that had post-processing effects. So it just yeah. looked and felt better in a lot of ways. Um And I think after that, like the revolution of PC game makers catching up and understanding what their hardware could do. Man, what a renaissance. Um yeah. And just amazing things like, you know, like even the Beyond Good and Evil games and some of those are just incredible
0: as a result. so well, I think... When when I was in college, I, I noticed like, oh man, you know, I you really had to kind of make that decision of do you want to stick with console or do you really want to start investing a lot of money into PC? Because before, previously, just your standard fair home PC was good enough to run like 90% of the games that were coming out on PC. You know, you could run Baldur's Gate 2 just fine on most home computers. Um, Doom, Quake, Unreal, you could run them fine. But when you started getting into things like Age of Empires, you know, not saying that game specifically, but like right around that time, I realized, oh, if I were to get just a little better graphics card, the game's going to run a whole lot better. And for me, that's when it clicked. Like, I really need to at this point because I'm in college need to make this decision about where I want to start focusing my efforts and spend my time and money because PC is going to take off, and now you have to start having custom PCs, and it's as we know has grown from there. And now suddenly, we're spending twelve hundred dollars on one single component for your computer, and that's not even the most important component. So, uh, a little, yeah, a little bitter about that, huh? <laughs> oh, no, dude, don't even get me started. And then, so fun fact about that, Ellie the other day, she's been she's so big into Minecraft right now, but she's getting into the the concept of mods. She now has a favorite streamer who who makes YouTube mods and she really likes watching that. And I got her set up on Minecraft Java uh, on PC so she could play around with some of them. And she's like, dad, I want to make mods for Minecraft. Okay. Like, I'm not going to tell my kid, no, if they want to like create something on a computer, you have unbridled access to technology. If you use it to create, if you use it to stare at the screen and not engage, Yeah, we're going to put a limit on it, like screen time to play games, screen time to watch. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely a limit. But if you're going to use it to create unbridled access, go for it. Have fun. So when we get back to Wisconsin and settled, we're going to build her a small, obviously, like entry level gaming PC. I'll give her the graphics card out of mine. But like we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about it and we're going to go through the components. I'm going to have her build it. So she's got some some sweat equity in it and she understands the components and she like, you know, wow, loves it because she built it. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting excited. My kids having a similar experience.
1: But it's my Violet. Um, you know, she's of the right age where she's been watching, you know, YouTube stuff for a couple of years. But now she's really starting to understand the correlation between like games and coding. And she went to mm-hmm. like a Saturday school coding camp. And, man, she had a lot of fun. And I'm talking to her now because, like, this is my arena. Like, and now I found one to take in Daddy's footsteps, you know? <laughs> I love all of you but come here. I'm going to impart all of my knowledge. Yeah, so this is uh so gaming related. This has been a, a good year for my kids. They've inherited some stuff from me that they've wanted for a while. So, um I gave up my PlayStation 4 Pro to them when I got my PlayStation mm. 5. Uh shortly thereafter I realized what a pain in the dick it is to hook up a PlayStation 5 to VR. Uh, oh god. And just fucking gave up. And said, like, congratulations, (laughs) you now own a PSVR. (laughs) Um, and then I had my old gaming, uh, PC and it really wasn't a gaming PC. It was my ramshackle old development kit that I finally just like broke down to its essentials. So it's like an old Dell Inspiron rig, but it's got like a 1080 in it. Um, and so they got a gaming PC for upstairs and my, you know, my hard and fast rules are this is, you know, I'm going to download games and I kind of set up Steam big screen mode on it. So it's really only used as a gaming device. But the first time my daughter loaded up Minecraft and understood, like, the difference between PC Minecraft and PlayStation 4, like, her eyes just like, whoa, like, this is way different. And I, I told her, I was like, yeah, but your creation tools um, right. are just much, much better. Um, and in fact, now she's bugging me about my gaming PC uh, because she got a hold of RTX Minecraft with ray tracing. And that totally changes oh, that God. game. It's incredible.
0: Well, the, the downside that we discovered to Minecraft on PC is that you cannot use a controller. Correct. Yep. So she's she's a little bummed about that because she got really used to it. And she's got small hands. So we're going to yeah. just need to get her a kid-sized mechanical keyboard. And-
1: yeah. Well, the good news is they make lots of them.
0: Uh, oh, I may or may not work for a company that makes all of them.
1: But that's not a, a you know, like me shilling. <laughs> no.
0: It's just purely passing on information.
1: Yeah. Um, I, you know, not for nothing, if she still wants to stay on the couch, I know there's a, like, we make a gaming lap board and you can put miniature, you know, like the micro sized, uh, mechanical keyboards in it. So that might be a good option for her. Cause that's, I, you know, for me, I typically, even when I game on PC, I'm using a controller for the style of games that I play. Um, and then if I need to use a keyboard, I have a lap board for it. Uh, but my intention is to never, ever, ever go back to a PC gaming experience where I'm sitting at a desk. I just don't
0: enjoy it as much. no. I just, I, and that's why I haven't spent the twelve hundred dollars on a graphics card. It's like I'm not going to get the max out of this. Yeah, but see, when so. you have your new
1: gaming space and you have a space for your PC to be hooked up directly to your your gaming display, I think that's
0: different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there it. There's a lot on the table at the moment. So sure. We'll, we'll see. But, yeah. uh, I, I, th- yeah.
1: I feel like the graphics card bubble is about to pop. Honestly, like they, you've got IHVs out there like NVIDIA who have literally said, like, well, we want to make more money per card now. And so instead oh, of, great. instead of just raising the prices on the 3080s, they released a 3080 Ti, which is ostensibly the same piece of get kit with another two gig of RAM. And now it's twice the price. So like that can't last forever. PC gaming is just going to go away and they know it. So I think it's, it's about time for that bubble to pop and hopefully like the 40 series that comes out next will at least be competently priced or comparably priced to pre pre pandemic stuff.
0: Hopefully with the massive dip that's happening within crypto that hasn't quite corrected itself yet, people are going to start losing interest in that and they can stop hoarding all of the the graphics cards. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and we were laughing because somebody had said something about, you know, with everything going on in the economic world right now, aren't you glad you have crypto? And I was like, Nah, crypto will be the first thing to go. I promise you, <laughs> like the second the Dow dips below this point, crypto
0: fucking gone. <laughs> it doesn't I work anymore. I used to look at my crypto account. Fifty times a day. I think I look at it once every fifty days now. Yeah, I just can't be bothered anymore because it's so embarrassingly low. I'm not going to sell because then you realize that loss. But I look at it and go, "Ooh, yeah." Now it becomes my new like 401k. (laughs) Like, I'll look at
1: it when I go to retire,
0: (laughs) and I'll hope there's enough in there. Otherwise, back to work. Wasted that shit, you know. oh my god. god yeah
1: well yeah and i mean like i you, i look at a 401k is something that uh comp- sorry this is not retirement podcast uh but you know like when you look we at, are
0: not financial advisors not financial advisors but like i
1: i tell people all the time they get nervous about their 401k like dude you look at that like two weeks before you're about to retire because you have no control over it or minimal right. control and it doesn't matter what happens between now and then you know just yeah. don't touch it <laughs> And you could add three percent, or you could add eighteen percent. You're yeah. still rolling the dice. Yeah, and it's you know it's not like anybody's just retiring on their 401k anyway. No, <laughs> if you think not. you are, this is my financial advice: stop that and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> put put about seven percent in. That's a yeah, that's, that's a good a, round number. It. Can you get matching? Take that. That's all.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so yeah, so you played anything good this than that, week?
0: Well, so I fell into a stupid deal. I hardly ever go to Walmart. I just, you know, you know the reasons. Like, I pay a little bit extra to go to, uh, go to Target, so I don't have to go to Walmart. And it's worth every extra penny. But it was Ellie's birthday last week. And I'm like, we'll take you on a little shopping spree. Where do you want to go? She's like, I want to go to Walmart. They have a specific toy I want. I'm like, what? How do you even know that? So we had a we got to the store and she told me what she wanted. And like Ellie, we had to have a quick like down and dirty lesson in the middle of the aisle about when you're looking at things online, just because it says it's sold at Walmart doesn't mean it's sold at Walmart. There was a specific Pokemon stuffy that she wanted and she didn't tell us what it was till we got there. Uh, She's like, yeah, it's, it's a it's a Marshadow Pokemon stuffy I'm like Ellie. I'm gonna bet you a thousand dollars they don't have it. Here. And she's like, Dad, no, I saw it on Walmart. Where? Pull it up, and she typed it in on my phone, and I clicked on it, and and it's like sold by, it was uh sold by some just random letters of characters, some off-brand company, shipped by Walmart. I'm like Ellie, like, let's have a lesson about this here. And she's like, Oh. So while we were there, I went back to the electronics section, and they had... I just always surf the clearance, because I would see these deals in our Facebook group of people finding awesome stuff at Walmart for nothing. And I never have that luck down here, despite there being a billion Walmarts in the Phoenix Metro. But we went to one that was like 30 minutes away, out in the middle of absolute nowhere. And I walk out, walk through the aisles, and there's just clearance games everywhere. But two of them stuck out in particular. One of them was Tales of Arise for PS5 for $15 I'm like oh this is a great deal that game came out last year smoking deal, awesome yeah. I'll buy it. Uh, yeah I'll buy a couple copies one for me one for Tom and I went to the switch aisle and I about had a heart attack because I saw something that surely this is an error project triangle or just triangle strategy which had come out six days prior six days prior was on clearance for $20 I went I'll, I'll take you. it yeah that's awesome. I had no intention of buying it because yeah, I, I liked Octopath. It was great, but I wasn't gonna pay sixty bucks for Triangle Strategy. It was it, it's a good tactics RPG that you know for twenty bucks. I'll hell yeah, I'll buy it and play it. And then I immediately wish I would have bought all of the copies because there were so many people in our Facebook group that like, oh man, I want one, I want one. Like I would have sold it to you for cost plus two dollars shipping. So. That's, that was my fun. Uh, that was my fun uh, gaming find. I've really had to put my game collecting on hold. Yeah, because I, I don't, I don't want to just increase more crap to ship.
1: Yeah, I'm in a weird spot myself with collecting, um, and it's just because kind of on the retro side, I've now kind of gotten most of the things that I really want that aren't, you know, unicorns that I'm still obviously looking for. Uh, but I really don't have anything new coming out for a while either. <laughs> Elden Ring was really? kind of it for me for a little bit, and you know, sure, you're not picking up Origin or Final Fantasy Origins. Um, I may, but I'm going to have to wait for that to get cheaper. Um, and and I say that because if I pick it up right now, I'm I'm telling you, I still have a solid two months on Elden Ring. So, oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's lots more to that, and I'm still trying to finish up a couple games on Switch. So, like, it doesn't make sense for me to go buy it right away. And honestly, like. I get the point of that game. It looks really fun and really goofy and all that. But I'm just, I'm
0: kind of like, eh, I don't want to pay full price for it. <laughs> That's true. I I think I'm going to pay full price for it. Because everything that I've read about is like, man, this game is just refreshing. It's great. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really good palate cleanser after sure. Elden Ring. Because it scratches that itch of Elden Ring. But like, I think... For me, Elden Ring is going to need to be... I'm going to need a game that's going to be like rehab afterwards. Yeah. But not cold turkey rehab. It's going to need to be like, I need to wean you off of this. Like a, a gentle transition. You know, this is... Oh, exactly. And I can't use Warzone as that because like I still play a ton of Warzone. But I play less Warzone than I was sure. prior to Elden Ring. But every single game that I play... After Elden Ring is going to be judged against Elden Ring, and it's going to come up short. It's it's very similar to how I felt about Breath of the Wild. I was on a high for months after Elden Ring, like continue or after uh, Breath of the Wild, continually searching for that high again, and I couldn't ever find it. And for the longest time after Breath of the Wild, I maintained that's the best game I've ever played. It's not my favorite game. But it's the best game I've ever played. Yeah. Just because after you got off that starting plateau, it just said, here you go. Here's a world. Explore. Have fun. Yeah.
1: No rules. We're not going to drag you down the story. Although once you get into the story, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Uh, Back to an earlier topic. I'm going to say it like this. One of the other reasons that I'm not going to buy a lot of new games is because god damn it. If Horizon Zero or uh, Horizon Forbidden West didn't do the exact same thing in its last release. <laughs> and now I have that. to get back and play that or
0: I'm never going to fucking play it. <laughs> I feel so bad for, for everybody at Gorilla Games. Yeah, so bad because, man, her, the, the first Horizon is a masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece, despite the fact that I missed it an entire component of leveling up weapons. Like it's a fucking masterpiece. One of the coolest stories in video gaming is sitting within horizon. They, They, at the time they still fell victim to a lot of the open world tropes that video games do, but they circumvented that with just such a captivating world, a unique perspective, um, really interesting concept, great characters and unbelievably good story that immediately got overshadowed by Breath of the Wild because, for one reason, Breath of the Wild was doing something different. It didn't mean that Breath of the Wild was a better game than Horizon. It's just that I remember playing Breath of the Wild and then trying to go back to Horizon and going, fuck, this sucks because I can't just climb that mountain. like I just can't do that. And it really annoyed me. And like I started judging Horizon off of my experience with Breath of the Wild. And you're right. They did it again and I don't think they intentionally did it Elden Ring kind of fucked them because Elden Ring got pushed yep to a week after it was supposed to come out three weeks before where people may have like oh okay you know the diehards they're done with it now and they're gonna move on to something else but even still releasing within like the six week six month window of Elden Ring terrible choice they should have pushed their game and that's yeah
1: I mean and I I hate to say it this is one of the things that I'm critical of both Mm -hmm. those games for Um, both of them could have used a little more time in the oven for some performance, you know, improvements. I thought Elden Ring, I, I expect it out of Elden Ring if I'm, if I'm being really, really fair. Uh, because From does not have a good technology history with game performance. They just don't. Um, and I expect it from it. So I'm a little more forgiving and I really shouldn't be. But Horizon came out with just, I, I, Again, I can't even describe it. It's not like a performance problem. It just visually looks wonky if you play it in either of the modes that they offer on PlayStation 5. Um, and they've done some things to fix it, but like, I was definitely one of those people that really noticed, like, the, the on again, off again, black flashing. Um, and yeah. I tried to adjust my TV for it, and it's just, it's a function of the TAA and how it works. So they've done some good things to resolve it, but like, I don't know, man. I think if, if I was facing down a game as big as Elden Ring, and I mean, everybody was talking about it weeks ahead of time. Like, I think I might have called an Audible and said, hey, you know what? Let's take some time. It's not going to really hurt sales. Because Elden Ring Elden Ring is like a surprise top seller. Horizon Forbidden West was not like everybody knew everybody was going to buy it. Right. Like that right. was a given. Elden Ring is a complete shock. And I, I think Horizon could have done better by putting some distance. But I agree. Like, I don't know that you can do that once you get to a certain
0: point in a product cycle. Like you've pulled the trigger already. You're just waiting for the bullet to come out. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, it's sad because I've, I really enjoyed my time with Horizon. The girls loved watching me play it. Yeah. Captivating world. Absolutely gorgeous. But where I stopped was at the point in an open world game like that where you either get it or you don't and that is open world fatigue and it's not its not like I've been playing this song and ready for something else it's oh hey alright we got you through like the introductory area there's some cool stuff to do kind of show you that you can explore fun to do now we're going to get you this next section I hit my first tall neck the map opened up and then I'm sitting there watching all of these things pop up on the map that's a lot of stuff to do. And, you know, my, my brain now, I've hit a point in my life where I look at a list of things to do and immediately go, I don't want to do that. Don't tell me what to do. And that's when Elden Ring came out. And in 2000, 2006, one of my most vivid gaming memories is a high that I've been searching for for 16 years. No game. And I'm not, I'm not speaking in hyperbole. I'm not painting with a broad brush. I'm being genuinely honest when I say this. No game has reached that level of high for me until now. And what I'm talking about and you can probably relate to this and as I say this a lot of people can who experience this can probably visualize it. But coming out of the sewers in oblivion and seeing that open world in front of you and that orchestral note hit and you just have this this feeling of like, I can go anywhere. Yeah. I can like, I'm supposed to go somewhere like just vaguely go North. I don't know where that is, but I can go anywhere and coming out of the, the, the opening cave of knowledge in Elden ring. And you see the Erd tree in the distance and this mountain, and you see a sight of grace off to your left and you go, Oh my God. I can do anything and it was the most impactful experience for me and it's it just set the entire tone for the game because i you're supposed to walk straight forward i didn't know this till 20 hours into the game there's a site of grace there's an npc and there's a couple like developer put messages that talk about oh maiden list. try going here i just immediately went out and went left and missed all of that information. So when I finally got to a, <laughs> the, just randomly got to the site of grace where the maiden shows up and talks I'm like, who's this bitch? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I yeah.
1: And I, I guess we should talk about that a little bit. That That is a thing for me. I don't want to be spoon fed. And I'm going to use that word a lot in relationship to Elden Ring and Souls games. Uh, the concept of being spoon fed things is not appealing to me. I do not want no. a big arrow on the ground. I do not want Navi in my ear telling me every ten seconds to go somewhere. I don't want a ton of map the markers. The gold star from Nino Cooney. Holy shit! No, <laughs> I certainly don't want anybody narrating anything to me. I don't want to be spoon fed a good game. I want to go and find what I like. Um, right. And that is not to say that Elden Ring is a perfect game. It is not, but it does more way more good than it does bad. And it absolutely flips the script on, on or open world game. It entices you to go
0: explore it and find out what it is. Um, and it so, never tells you. Before we get into like more about the game, I want to have a conversation with you. Because I think that you could lend some insight into this. I'd be curious your take on it. Sure. Since this game came out, I think that hardcore gamers... And I know that term sucks. But I'm just using that as, as a catch-all for people who are like us and... Our community who we game a lot like we have our finger on the pulse of gaming not saying that we're better than the casual gamers or just i'm using that term generally so please don't take offense to that but i've had more gaming friends contact me and say like hey i heard about this game elden ring like it's getting a lot of attention do you think i would like that and i really catch myself struggling to recommend it to people and it's not it's not out of a sense of like elitism. It's out, it's out of a sense of like, I've been playing souls games for coming on 15, 16 years now since, since, well, no 13 years since demon souls. I understand the type of people that these games are built for. And I think Elden ring is, is, will go down as one of the best games ever made. One of my favorite games of all time, but I'm struggling to recommend it to people because of the type of game that it is, knowing that it's not for everyone. And if you don't understand, like truly understand what you're getting into, um, you might not have a very good experience. And I saw some of this within the community and I'd really be interested to hear more people's take on this because there were some people who had some disparaging comments about it or said like, I just couldn't get into it or, oh, it was just the same over and over and over and over and over and I really burned out on it. It's just too much of the same thing. Or... Take any number of the criticisms for Souls games. Um, none of the Souls games have hit the level of visibility as Elden Ring has. So more people are going to be aware of it, which is great. The more people playing a game, the better. But I really struggle to recommend it to people. Yeah. I feel like... Uh-oh, you
1: froze up on me there. Sorry. I'm here. Oh, sorry. Um, so... Yeah, I I don't know that I struggle to recommend it to people, but I definitely add a lot of qualifiers, um, which is, again, I'm going to use this term spoon fed. This game does not hold you by the hand in any way, um, including some of the things I'm going to talk about today that are just like hidden mechanics and quality of life things that the game never tells you. Um, It's not story driven. It's not particularly forgiving if it expects you to understand something and you don't. Um, And ultimately, like, I don't think if you're not a Souls fan, it's going to change your mind. But if you are looking for something new and you've never tried a Souls game, or if you are looking for something that doesn't hold you by the hand or ultimately a good challenge um, and certainly a ton of content for the money, um. then I think you should give Elden Ring a chance. But I, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I have not told one person who has played a Souls game and didn't like it that this would change their mind in any way. It's not going to.
0: No. And it's it's really hard to describe to people who've never played a Souls game what it is and why it's difficult and why it's not for everybody. I genuinely believe this game is not for everybody. It's probably for less people than... We would like to think Um, I think a lot of people bought it because of the interest. And I think there are plenty of people who have probably played it and went, ooh, I don't get it. Or nope, not for me, because Souls games were were up to now. And again, we'll talk about the differences. But up to now, we're like, they're pretty linear, hard, 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 really hard boss. And then it's like, okay, you beat that great sense of elation, hard, 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 really hard boss. And you just kind of rinse, repeat. But now it's just hard, like All around, it's very difficult because now you don't have any direction of which way to go. Nothing is explained to you in any sense of the imagination. And then the world just keeps getting bigger around you. And it's just, where do I go next? What do I do? And I think a lot of people who don't understand that, they have that sense in their mind of like, oh, sure, they may say like they don't tell you where to go, but games tell you where to go. And when we say, no, it doesn't, we're not kidding. Like they physically do not tell you where to go on the map. Like there's a little flowing orange line coming from a site of grace that like loosely guides you in one direction. But then you look at the sites of grace. You're like, Oh, but that one goes that way. And that one goes that way. And it may take you 20 hours to like, see that through. And in the meantime, you don't know what you're doing. You have no fucking clue. And things just kind of happen. And there's no quest log. If you get a quest from an NPC, they don't put that anywhere on the map. They don't put that anywhere within the menu for you to reference back to. Jason Schreier got absolutely lambasted because he made a comment that said, "Make sure you have a notebook with you when you play Elden Ring." And people like, "Well, that's just re- preposterous. Why should I have to have a notebook and take notes when I'm playing a game? And this is poor game design." And he's like. I'm just telling you, like, you might forget something. Like, just write it down. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I, I, and and in my heart of hearts, I kind of love that because it reminds me it. of playing Raiders of the Lost Ark on Atari 2600. A game yep. that gave you jack shit, made it as impossibly hard to figure out puzzles as it possibly could, um, and then just told you to go figure it out. Like it yep. reminds me of those days those those old days when I was taking notes in the back of my little Nintendo NES guide in the comment section to remember and to you'd do something them at like, school. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I like that style of play. I also like the way that Elden Ring tells its stories because a lot of it's open for interpretation. But a lot of it is just you haven't found the right piece of dialogue. You haven't found the right item with the right item description to help you understand it. Or if you didn't press the talk button the third time with that person. Oh, man. And time shifting in this game. Oh, uh, I guess we should mention that mechanically. This is very different from other games. It has a day and night cycle, uh, but one that you can more easily control and they are absolutely, like, you can be talking to an NPC and he can say, come back later. And you can shift the time from, you know, night to day and then make that interaction happen faster, which is great. But some characters only tell you certain things during certain parts of the day. Um, yeah. And that's just, again, a mechanic that you don't discover until much later. Um, and well, and, can, and certain bosses can be only show up at
0: certain times. Yeah, that too. So before we get into that, the, the last thing that I want to say about this, um, like, intro to to elden ring and and why this is has basically cemented its place in my heart as the best game i've ever played and again that's not hyperbole it is the best game i've ever played for a a multitude of reasons we'll get into but similar to 06 with the oblivion sewer incident 2009 dark souls or i'm sorry demon souls came out and I bought that, and my uncle and I, every day on our way home from work, would call and talk to each other about the game. Or when we were playing, Mm -hmm. we would talk to each other. Or I'd go visit him for a weekend, and I'd bring my PlayStation down, and we would sit and play side by side and, like, talk about the game. It consumed my life. This game has done exactly that. Dan and Tom and I uh, have all been playing through it at the same time, and still, to this day, well, for the first week, it was just constant. Like, hey, have you guys found this? Like, sending pictures in our chat, Talking about, hey, have you done this? Have you done that? Cool item here, cool item there. We just set a very baseline, like, hey, no spoilers about story because you know, <laughs> obviously, no spoilers about boss fights, but anything else is fair game. You can show me pictures of the map. You can show me where items are. You can tell me what's where. You can give me strategies for how to beat something. But everything else was on the table, and it was the, it still is the coolest experience because it's so. Interactive on so many different levels for a game that is designed to be a very singular experience. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's also fair to say that you
1: can play this game within the confines of like its character creation. You really can play this game any way you want. Yeah. And that's very different and I think um, sort of a, a step-up philosophy from other Dark Souls games where they really narrowed you into a class from the start. Um, you know, your starting stats, all that stuff really drove. And in this game, what I found is your starting class is really about the first 30 minutes of the game. After that, you can do anything with any character, um, and not in the traditional, like, oh, I re-rolled my character. You can do that too. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but it is, uh, I, I, I cannot express how refreshing it is to play something like Skyrim, um, you know where you can really customize and go deep into creating a very specific class that plays a very specific way but it doesn't take as long um, and there are unlike Skyrim like there are enough reasons to do it that make it logical to like go through and create 10 different characters because they play so differently. So what class did you start with. Uh, so this is still my first Dark Souls run or uh, Elden Ring run, technically. So I always go with a uh, heavy Zonk Zonk boy, uh, which, oh. you know, <laughs> two handed. I, I would like the biggest, stupidest weapon and I would like to hit things once and just watch them vanish. Um, yeah. And so I neglected a lot of the casting up front and found out that that was hurting me uh, on a couple of very specific encounters and so I've now kind of breached that out into a Zug Zug bleed build, um, yeah. which, again, is just not something that you could do. For reference, bleeding in any game is just that it's applying a like a damage over time stat that has um, if you leave it on there long enough and it builds up enough, it has a big impact on the other character's health. Um, so now I'm a big guy with a big stick that hits things and then they bleed to death.
0: <laughs> the only thing in this game that's worse than bleed is scarlet rot. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's, that's how I, mine is tinged. <laughs> I am a magical glass cannon that inflicts Scarlet Rot. Okay. I always go for, I, for some reason, I really enjoy the glass cannon build because I'm going to hurt you, but if you can catch me, you're going to kill me. And that's, that's just what I really enjoy doing. So um, I started off as the Vagabond. And the thing that, I'm not going to say it made me upset, but the thing that annoyed me is that it took me 30 hours of gameplay before I found a different set of armor that was better than my starting armor. I was wearing just entry-level Vagabond armor for the first 27 hours of the game, and then I started to find other stuff. But I wasn't initially going to go with magic because in the past, traditionally, magic hasn't been the best unless you were a pure magic build. And I never really enjoyed doing that because I like the combat of Dark Souls. I like being up and close and the rolling around and like the, uh, the the strategy of you know ducking under their legs and timing your rolls away from the the attacks just right. But I picked up a staff and I had the Glintstone Pebble casting spell. Like, oh my god, this thing is fantastic for just like lowering their health a little bit from a distance. And then you can just obliterate him with one sword hit once you get close. Like it just broke the game for me for a while. So I really <laughs> started to dump a ton of points into intelligence. And then I found a sword that has uh Scarlet Rot. It's a crystal sword that has Scarlet Rot with intelligence scaling. My glintstone staff has intelligence scaling. So I'm like all I have to do is put points into intelligence and it levels up my attack for both my magic and my physical. So all I'm doing is dumping points into endurance and intelligence. My health bar is embarrassingly small, but you can catch me, you're going to hurt me, but I'm going to kill you before you catch me. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And again, that's just a totally different play style.
1: My, My experience here, and again, I can only talk from really the heavy class side of it, Um, is that armor really doesn't matter that much this time around. This is more about fashion. Um, There are certainly, you know, like uh, casting gear because they have higher amounts of, you know, resistance or they add this or they add that. Um, And then the armor really only differentiates itself once you get kind of close to the end of the game. Where super heavy armor is actually more effective, like because there are, uh, like every other Souls games, like there are boss armors that you can get relatively easy after you defeat them. You can go buy them, and they weren't Mm -hmm. that. Like I started off with the uh, oh gosh, what was it? It's the it's a class that's got a basic heavy set of armor. Is it the vagabond? I guess it's the vagabond. It's it's either the knight, it's the knight or the vagabond. Yeah, um, and I didn't same thing. Like I didn't change it other than to change how I looked. Um, I, I will say like we have to talk about the customization a little bit more because that's something that's very different from Dark Souls. So this game implies ashes of war um, and you can modify your ash of war. So like when you pick up a shield in traditional Souls games, shields did either two things. You could stand in place and block or you could parry. Um, and now you have the option to peel that off of like a shield, for example, and replace it with something else. Um, And at the same time, when you change your Ashes of War, you can also change how your item levels. So again, in the past, if traditionally you got a sword and it was a dex sword or a dexterity sword, you got scaling based on how much dexterity have. So now when you pick up a weapon and you don't like that it's a dex sword and you want it to be a strength sword, you can just change it. To a strength, yeah. as long as you have the right type of um, oh god, what are they called? There's some kind of like dragon's tooth or shard or something like that. But you can change the element to which that particular weapon is scaling on. And I mean, like that's given me access to, I mean, hundreds of different types of weapons that I wouldn't have had access to in a traditional Souls game. So that's really See, nice. and that's
0: where that's one component of the game that I've missed out on because I've been using a magic. It's a sword that's just magic imbued. And you cannot put Ashes of War on that sword. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So I've missed out entirely on that. But I recently found a, a secondary weapon that's a ton of fun. It's it's like uh, a Castlevania Chain Whip. Oh, nice. So I put the Bloodhound Step on there, which allows you to like do the Shadow Step yeah. and disappear as you dodge. So I'm going to start leveling that up and and uh, use that for a little bit. But, the yeah, you're right. There's so much insane customization to what you can do and how you you play it's it's so incredibly refreshing
1: yeah and 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 we have to mention this early on uh if you're a fan of dark souls 2 you're going to love this because power stancing is back which means yeah. that you can hold two of any weapon in one hand or i'm sorry uh you can hold a weapon in <laughs> each <like> a- <laughs> hand and turn into a helicopter right yeah. like you you can now effectively dual wield and different combinations of different weapons have different move sets So if I equip two of the same great swords, for example, which is an option at strength builds and high end um, power stancing, like I get a very unique move set if I press R2 and L2. Um, And again, this just opens up how you play and the combat style that you use. I'll tell you if you do a wield, you can't block. uh, No, you can't. But you also don't need to (laughs) (laughs) because you just become a roly poly. Right, like your yeah. whole job is just to roll out of the way of attacks, and then get in there, swing twice, and whatever dies. I mean, and even yeah. down to bosses. I have um one set of uh they're now called colossal weapons instead of ultra great swords. Um, and that lumps yep. a bunch of stuff like clubs and stuff like that. But I have one combo that even on like later fights, like um, uh, Radagon, not Radagon, uh, mm-hmm. the guy that turns into the big snake. Um, oh, Rikard, yeah, Rikard, I killed him in four hits. Jesus. Yeah, so I could phase him through in four hits. Now it was a pain in the ass to get close to him and do that, but like I hit super I hit for like 1700 to swing or something like that. Wow. Um and I've kind of respect back out of that because of the playstyle itself, I, I actually enjoy the blocking and the parrying and the sort of strategery <laughs> of using shields. Um and there are some fights that just they require that. Um and man, can we talk about the number of bosses for a second? So many. <laughs> I've counted and 138, like, and I'm only about 80% of the way through the game. I'm keeping and it. That's, over probably, the those are,
0: that's, that's just ones that you found.
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm sure just I've ones missed ones you them. found. I'm, so, I'm being pretty thorough, but yeah,
0: I'm willing to bet I missed at least 10 or 15. The opening section, the, the limb grave section, I felt like I covered it pretty well. Sure. And then we compared... Tom, Dan, and I compared maps. Like, I don't have that. 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 And there were all bosses in there. So there were five or six bosses that I hadn't found in that area. And they looked at mine like, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that. And like, (laughs) that's just overlaying our maps. Who's to say that there's not another layer that we've missed that has other stuff? So you come out of that first section and you genuinely really have no idea where to go. It kind of vaguely says, you know, the the very first sight of grace has what's neat about the sights of grace is that the light flows in the direction that it's like loosely guiding you. It is by no way an indication of which direction to go. It's just like, Oh, the light is like being caught by the wind and flowing North. So maybe I should go North and see what's up there, but it's very North ish. (laughs) Yeah. But North is a broad term because the whole game is North at that point. And the map at the very beginning, there's no map. Like it, it's a gray piece of paper with like a white road on it. And I'm going to be embarrassed to admit it took me about 15 hours to realize that on the map that you get when it before it's filled in, there's a a, a little marker, a little icon that shows you where you can go get the map stone to reveal the map. <laughs> oh, I bet I was that was 15 fun. 15 <laughs> hours in, and Dan sent me a picture of his map. I'm like, why does yours look different than mine? Like is mine just not loading? He goes, no, just pick up the map stone. I'm like, I'm a fucking idiot. So I went and picked that up and changed everything. But what's really neat is that when you first come out and you're you're investigating some stuff, you find some sites of grace, it pops up on the brown map. You're like, wow, this map's really big. This map's really big. And then you move on to the next section and Next time you open the map, it's zoomed out a little bit. Now suddenly you have black borders around all four sides and it just gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm still not fully scaled out and I'm in the last section of the game and I know that there's something even further northeast of where I'm at. Yep. And I've been playing for 70 hours. Yeah, I,
1: I looked at my counter this morning. I think I'm it's like 60 62 hours and i'm in the same just... boat like i i actually got to a point in the the area where you're at where i hit a boss and i was like okay this has got to be me moving towards the end game i still don't have one section of the map filled in so that's now like my challenge i'm not going to finish this game without filling out the map <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i want to see everything that i missed by the time i get to new game plus so i'm going to well and diverting. what's cool is that they've they hearken back to a lot of the original um Souls games style dungeons, yes, but they do it in a very creative way and in a very missable way, too. Yeah, so the very first cave I came across, it was neat. I saw flame in the distance, my god, like, oh, that what's up there? And I went up there, and there's a cave in the side of the mountain, a little mini dungeon with some wolves. and I came across my first boss and I beat him. Like, oh, this is awesome, this is cool. I'm gonna just find these random dungeons everywhere. And then you make it up to Stormvale Castle, and suddenly you feel like you're in Boletaria from Demon's Souls, and you're working through this big, sprawling level. And you get to, um, I think his name is Margit at the end, and he's the first like actual scripted boss. But the the cool thing about this game, and I think it was you that was saying this, where no other game has has really mastered line of sight for discovery. Yeah. They, they, they masterfully use what you can see and terrain to navigate appropriately. So there was a section in the north part of the map where I came up over the hill. Absolutely zero indication that there was anything on the other side of this cliff. But you look down, and there's an entire city down there. Absolute entire. And it wasn't the Eternal City. It was just some random one-off, like, you could totally miss this unless you walked up to that cliff and looked down. And then off on the left, there's some some cliffs you could jump down to go explore this. And it's like a f- two hour experience. You could just totally miss. Is that the potboy City by any chance? I don't know. I haven't gone down there and I, I don't know the name of it. I missed an entire section
1: and I don't think it's in. I think it's right after Stormgate Castle, uh, but I missed an entire area and there wasn't a ton to do down there, but it was all the big uh, pot guys. They have like their own city. And so I just wandered around there for half an hour and again it, this is yeah. not like a major I'm sure it's some quest that I missed. Um ooh, we got to talk about quest. Or like quests, the windmill too.
0: city up in the north part oh, with yeah, all the yeah, people yeah. who are are Crazy psychotically freaks. dancing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a boss at the end of that. There's nothing there, but it's the godskin's layer and yep. it's like, oh, "Oh, okay. That was fun." Yeah. And and to Eric's point, like this stuff is not
1: again, I'm back to my words spoon-fed to you. I missed um in one of the towers and I won't tell you which one but I missed in one of the towers so the 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 goal of this game or like at least the short term goal in this game is to kill bosses and get runes and once you have enough runes you'll be considered the Elden Lord blah 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 story points um so after you get your first rune you find out very quickly that you can't even use it it doesn't work <laughs> so you have to find a tower to go activate a rune um, you find the tower, you climb your own way all to the top, and then you figure out, like, oh, I have to do this thing, and then it activates my rune. And then there's, like, a mechanic behind runes that we'll get into later that's a pain in the ass. Uh, but, you know, again, a thing the game doesn't tell you but expects you to figure out. Um, but then I found one of the towers where there's an entire lower section to the tower that I missed by not jumping off a section that looks like sheer death. Um, and in yep. fact, there's a huge jump puzzle all the way to the bottom. And then there's another like whole area and bosses down there. So, yeah, it yeah. doesn't spood fiend you anything. There are whole encounters, dungeons, and bosses that you can miss. Um, and then there are whole vast, and I mean vast, areas that you can miss if you miss one little cave by the side of the road. Right? Yep.
0: Like, you know? <laughs> well, even a section within Stormvale Castle I missed because... When I went out a door, I didn't turn left and look down over the edge. And yeah. then there's a you, you drop down and it's like, oh, now I can be in the under level. But what's even crazier is that we found a cathedral in the middle of the woods that had an elevator that mm-hmm. took me down to an entire underworld map. There is like, I'd say probably 30 percent of the overworld again underground. Yeah, the game's freaking massive
1: yeah every time i get into a section of the game and this has happened to me three or four times where i think like okay this has got to be it. i'm almost at the end and again i'm at like 50 60 hours and i haven't finished the game yet i find another section that's just as big as the opening section um and that lower area by the way like that's not it it keeps going and going and going like there are multiple levels to it so this is a this is like one of those games. I really feel bad for people who are like powering through it just to get a platinum Um, or who are just trying to get to the end so they can move on to their next game. Like this is wine. It's not a shot. Like right. you really want to stop and savor what's going on there. Cause you don't get to see it for the first time a second time. And there is a ton of like lore implications. There are a ton of stories. There are a ton of quests that in, fact, in the last patch, they just made it easier to figure out like, What is a quest giver? And like, how do you get to the next part of their quest? Because there, I mean, there are a hundred that you can do in the first 30 minutes of the game um, and that you start or at least can progress through. Um, And you can totally miss it again if you miss a piece of dialogue or if you don't catch on to the fact that this lady who has been giving you hugs wants you to keep coming back and doing it again and again and again. Right? Like,
0: I know I've said this on the show so many times before. I have this, I, there's something that switches in my brain the second I roll the credits on a game. I lose interest in the game. So yep. I'm going to be very careful with that because I do want to explore this game as much as possible. I don't want to get close to the end because once I get close, then I start feeling that pull. Like, I could just go beat it. Like, I just go beat the game. And I don't want to do that because then I'm not going to experience it. And very similar to Breath of the Wild, I, I've never played Breath of the Wild again. I haven't even picked it up to try it since I beat it two weeks after it came out. Yeah. Still phenomenal game. I don't ever foresee myself replaying this. I, I think I'm going to have
1: to because I do want a platinum and because I'm sure that after I get through my first playthrough, I'm going to find out that I miss stuff um yeah but and that's i don't gonna know want to put
0: another 90 hours into this
1: i don't know i mean it's a good enough game that i feel like i could without batting and I. like breath of the wild yeah. had that draw for me and i've tried a couple times my my main complaints about breath of the wild all come from the fact that they're on switch
0: i don't and their weapons break
1: yeah i don't play in portable mode i don't like that weapons break and ultimately for me to play that sitting on my couch on the tv it's not a pretty game it's just not anymore. I really wish I could tell yeah. you it was, but like, I have to load that up on my PC and play it in a reasonable resolution and all that for me to make it work. And I'm a graphics snob. I'll be the first one to admit it. But like Breath of the Wild, I'll play it again once Switch Pro or whatever that next iteration comes out on, um, yeah. where it it looks reasonably modern. It doesn't to me now, even with all the cell shading prettiness. Like I loved the game, but it it feels a little long in the tooth. Yeah. This, I could probably see myself going back and playing again. Um, and it at the very least, I may not even finish it, but I may go back just to experiment with builds and try and find some of the secrets that I missed, because I'm sure I missed a lot. Um, well, when
0: Apparently, when you beat it, you can either start New Game Plus or go back to exploring, but I think that if you beat the game, it, it closes off certain quest lines. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I've already lost a couple quest lines
1: mid-tier, because I either... Killed an NPC, or I just chose the wrong dialogue option, or I killed a boss out of order, and like they will visibly appear and tell you that, like, yeah. oh well, I guess you don't need me anymore. Fuck, <laughs> I do. Come back, no Pop, boy. <laughs> Control Z, undo. Um, I, you know, and and again, I guess we should we kind of gush over it a little bit, but we can talk about some of the things that are janky about it because I agree. Like I, I heard the last show with Dan, and I absolutely agree. Like horseback combat.
0: Ooh, it's okay it's not I didn't realize that you could swing your sword to the left yeah that helps until Dan told me like oh that I guess that makes sense but it's still janky uh
1: like and and, like here's a a mechanic that they added to the game that I can complain about a lot no rhyme or reason some enemies can knock you off your horse some enemies can't (laughs) It's and not based on size, not based on swing, but it's a pain in the ass when they fucking kill your horse when you're on it because then you have to to use your horse again. You have to go through like a menu system to bring him back to life, and that is not easy to do while fighting a dragon breathing fire up your asshole. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the other part too that is different than other Souls games is that you have way, way more flasks this time. Yes. So yeah. the Estus flasks, you... Maybe by the end of the game of previous Souls games, get eight. Maybe, yeah. I have I think twelve now. Yeah, I'm up to. Th- I think I'm up to fourteen. So you collect these things called golden seeds, and they're at the base of golden trees, which you can see from ten miles away. So yep. they're they're kind of easy to find. Yeah, but they you know the first few take one, and then it takes two, and then it takes three. I think I'm up to it needing five now. But then you can get these things called sacred tears, which increase the amount of hp or fp that are restored with each flask yep but then you can go into the menu and you can allocate how many flasks of each you have so if your magic build you could you probably want to be more heavily on the, the focus points yeah the focus points um but if you die on if your horse dies you can use one of your potions to revive it yeah
1: or you can be a good pet owner and feed your horse as it gets damaged, but
0: nobody fucking does that because it's a pain no. in the dick. <laughs> no. So the, the horseback the, combat is necessary though for certain bosses, like the dragon out in the Limgrove Pond. Yes, I, yeah. You can't beat him without a horse. And then there's a there's a, a dragon on a bridge up in Caled, which let's just say fuck Caled. Like it, the the yeah. only things to do when you get there are leave. Yeah, Kaled is the Gerudo Desert of Elden Ring, uh, and it's it's terrible. not quite as bad as Blight Town. Yeah, but it's bad. Actually, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> imagine imagine if Blight Town was an entire continent, and it's not like Blight Town was bad because it was poor design that ran at like three frames a second and you got poisoned. Kaled looks great. It's a really neat, cool concept, but Scarlet Rot is everywhere. Yeah, and the main, one of the main culprit enemies that just sucks is,
1: it literally translated in Japanese, it's Tyrannosaurus dog. And they just fucking suck. And then there are these birds that have no right existing on the face of the earth. They're just assholes. Actually, Elden Ring birds are assholes, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. Uh, There's There's crows that'll drop exploding barrels on you. Yeah. the hawks that have swords on their feet and just fly at you endlessly all
0: of them just manage to be out of my swing range all the time (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Uh, another mechanic that one of us didn't discover for quite a while Tom did not realize for like 20 hours that the horse could double jump
1: oh good one yeah double jumping will either save your ass or kill you
0: but it will definitely be necessary to access whole sections of the game I incorrectly assumed that I could cheese the fall damage mechanic by jumping off of a really high cliff. Like, you looked down, like, I will die. But, hey, you know what? My horse has a double jump, so I'm going to wait till I'm, like, a foot off the ground and then (laughs) double jump to, like, slow that down. I'm like, oh, and you you very, very softly land on the ground and then go, you died.
1: My favorite part of
0: that is when the game... Like
1: really wants you to understand, hey, bitch, this isn't going to work when they make your horse die first and then you fall off the horse and then you die after. (laughs) Like, listen, this is not the way (laughs) I'm going to kill both of you. Yeah, we understand
0: the physics of this. But you're still going to die. Oh, yeah. And we should talk about the fact that gravity
1: is Las Vegas. It is just a roll of the dice. Like, right. there are some jumps, I swear to God, in this game that are, like, three feet. And you can jump off them and you will just instantly die. And then there are some other jumps that you make and you're like, I don't know if this is going to be okay. And you're
0: fine. <laughs> <laughs> you just lose a little stamina.
1: Yeah. Well, so, yeah, gravity is kind of a an, an odd thing in this game. I'm going to play it up to old gods.
0: Like somehow they are attacking you. Um so Tom and I Tom and I joke about this as since we're talking about janky mechanics, we joke about this, but it's it's still infinitely better than any other Souls game has ever come close to. But the multiplayer on this game is kinda janky. Yeah. So you can go into your multiplayer and you can set a group, yep. and then you can set a password. And what that does is it will ensure that only people with the matching group and then the matching password will appear for you, which has been like 90 percent effective for me and Tom. And then we tried to get Dan into play with us and discovered that, oh, you have to go into a different menu for cross region play and turn matchmaking on for cross region play. And then that worked for us. But then what they don't tell you is that if you do a certain objective within an area, you can no longer summon each other in that area. So if you've already beaten that boss. Yep. But we want to go explore the rest of this area together as a group. Oh, sorry. Can't bring you in anymore.
1: Yeah, that's a weird, long lasting Dark Souls mechanic. Like once you finish the boss, they don't want you in there anymore. Like they, they are yeah. definitely pushing you towards do everything first and then go to the boss, which I find kind of odd. I mean, I'm sure there's a point to it, but I really would have appreciated more, uh, more heads up about how that worked. My, my biggest gripe with the multiplayer is that when you do go into one of those groups, you are now limiting like the, if you were part of that group, you now can't see anybody else's like either quest markers or notes. You can only see your yeah. own groups. Um, and I got to tell you, if you're in my group, you're fucked because every single wall is a hidden path. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the multiplayer in this, though, is so much better, like sure. physically gameplays wise, so much better. Because in previous Souls games, if you wanted to just beat a boss, summon in another character because they come in appropriately leveled for themselves, they could come in and just absolutely destroy that boss. And. I was never really proud of the fact that I summoned in friends for a few bosses Uh, like Kuehleg, fuck that bitch. I mean, right in her spidery face. I mean, she sucked (laughs) so much. I've never been able to beat her solo. It's one of my soul's goals is to beat Leg solo at some point before I die. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that's just something I'm going to have to live with that I've never been able to accomplish. Yeah, I've been able to raise two sucks. kids, keep them alive. <laughs> I, I can buy a house. I can do my own taxes, but I can't beat Quelaag. I just can't. So that It's, it's always been great because you could just summon someone in and be like, boom, soul shard, dead, one hit. They've changed that. If you think that just summoning in friends is going to help you beat a boss, you are sorely mistaken because they come in matched to your level and then the boss is made harder based on how many people you have in yep so tom and i discovered that underground section um the the big starry one okay and we we did the little puzzles together we had to light all the plinths and then you, we went and fought the moose god together and i tried fighting him solo and went i am not strong enough for this i, I just could not beat him and we said, let's try this together. Sure, Dan is going to give us crap for cheating. Uh-huh. Because we said, Dan, do you want to join He's like, no, Souls games for me are like a very singular player experience. And I want to like say I've beat all this stuff by myself. And Tom and I are like, all right, fine. Then, you know, do your thing. And we we both booted into my game and went to fight him. And just got obliterated. Just fucking obliterated. Like, how is this possible? He's even harder now. And that's when it clicked. Oh. And that became our mission for the whole night. was we're going to beat Moose God. It's not his real name. I don't know what his name is, but uh, ancient, ancient something ancient yeah. something, or other ancient spirit dweller. But we finally beat him and having that elation of like we got to experience this boss battle together and it wasn't easier as a result of us doing it together. So cool. We've yeah. played so many bosses together.
1: Yeah. And I think and it, I do enjoy that challenge of like, hey, you know, you can take this on together, but we're going to like give him 50% more health. Right. And you see like what you're used to your swings being like an inch long in terms of health bar and how it
0: turns into like a millimeter. Like, Oh shit. Yeah. (laughs) I know I actually have to be good at this. (laughs) Well, and it comes down to a new, an entirely new strategy. We did the same thing with, um, the very first boss Margot. And Mm -hmm. it was really cool where, so you, if you get summoned in, you don't have all of your flasks. You have, 50% 50% of what you normally have. Yep. So I have 12. I only get summoned in with six and it spreads it accordingly to what you have magic and, and focus points, but it becomes a new strategy of you aggro it. Well, I heal. And then once he gets on you, I'm going to come up and aggro it and you trade off. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, it's and such a cool experience. It forces you into classes almost because one of you has to become a tank at some point. Yep. Um, and I think that's absolutely fair, especially like what I've read about new game plus, and I'm yep. trying to not read anything about Elden Ring. So everything that you hear out of me today is coming straight out of my ass. Uh, it's stuff that I've figured out or I, I've not looked up one. I, I've looked up one cheat strategy because I was really struggling and then I have looked and I was a dumbass and I was just not doing something right. Um, but absolutely, positively, this game can be played in new game plus as classes because it raises the bar in terms of like new game plus literally becomes twice as difficult. The enemies hit twice as hard and the hit points literally double. So I think like, that's the strategy with this is your first playthrough. They're kind of counting on you doing it single by the time you go through your second, like you've established a community and now you guys are really going to have to figure this shit out and you know, like have a tank class and have a healer, which is now possible too. Uh, through some of the items that you can get so i think that's you know that's great because it adds a
0: diversity of playstyle to the game well i think the other thing too that's really neat and there i i don't understand where people get this when they say oh the souls community is so toxic because they're really elitists and it's like <laughs> oh just get good i don't ever come across that tom had a really really cool experience where he we would set up shop up by godfrey in the eternal city and just The the other side note before I get back to that point, side note for summoning, you can either put down a singular summon sign in like that exact spot, or there's an item that allows you to just send your summon sign out to nearby summoning pools. And you don't know where you're going to get pulled to. It's the coolest fucking thing. It's like, this is just a roll of the dice. Take me, and we could either like go explore the city or we could go fight a boss. Don't know what's going to happen. But Tom had a neat experience where he was just posted up doing Godfrey and helping people through that. And he got a message on PlayStation and it just said his character name question mark and he went yeah do i know you and he goes hey you helped me beat godfrey much appreciated dude like just the yeah. the amount of appreciation and people like supporting each other through that is really all i see because we're all looking at this going this is something special well and yeah i just need help yeah i think
1: too i think the community gets a lot of you know like a rap for being highly toxic because people are reading twitter uh, let me be clear. Twitter is highly toxic. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care who you are, or what you do. If you're talking on Twitter, you're probably being toxic to somebody and somebody's probably being toxic to you. But like, in playing the game, I don't find that at all. I find most of the time, like, people are way higher level than me or have ridiculous gear that I haven't even seen yet and will just come in and help you knock out a fight. Uh, until you PvP and then they're going to destroy your face, which is, oh, you yeah. know, what it's
0: for um my favorite pvp experiences though are when dan and tom and i have all been in a world exploring and then i get invaded or we get invaded and typically when you see that you've been invaded there's that dread of like "Fuck! how yeah. many souls do i have where is he coming from but when you've got three of you you turn around and you charge that guy mm-hmm. and you just have to imagine that the person invading went <laughs> what have Fuck. i done and just boom boom, <laughs> boom 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 dead oh yeah yeah, I've had several experiences where we got invaded and then they saw us running towards him and he throws the finger, the severing yeah. <laughs> finger down and he's like, he's returned to his world. I think, too, um, you know, you
1: you hit something on the head, but I, I want to go into it a little bit more. Mechanically, this game plays great. Um, and one of the reasons for it is the addition of a jump button. Holy shit. Yes. To Dark Souls. Like I went back and played Dark Souls three for a little bit last night. It is painful to go back and play a game that I have platinumed almost twice uh, on two different platforms, uh, because there is just no jump button and the jump button is integral to the way that you play this game. Um, I I spent, you know, I'll tell you, if you want to level really fast, you learn, find that rune that increases jump attacks, um, or the amulet that increases jump attacks and then just go out and farm jump attacking guys, because it's a really quick, effective strategy to level, um i put that on my uh i put that on and then just go to town on bosses yeah yeah absolutely because jump in jump attacks in this game not only hit for damage which is good uh but they also interrupt a lot of attacks so if you see yeah. somebody winding up for something like one of the best strategies is just to go up and jump attack them and then back the hell away as quickly as possible i, I learned that on oh, Godfrey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah run away uh and that's you know but that's Again, I I don't want to like confuse anybody and tell you if I if you played Dark Souls or you don't think you'd like it like this isn't going to change your mind. But if you've given Dark Souls a chance and you go
0: like yeah that's okay, but I you know I really wish it had this and that this might be the thing for you. It, Um, It very well might yeah. But it's also very very possible that this game is going to be wrong for a lot of people yeah mainly mainly because and I can see where people. I could see where people would make this argument is I'm 70 hours in and like I feel that in the back of my mind I'm like this is a long game yes. and I still realize I've probably got 50 60 hours left. Yeah. on the short end. So, unless you're really like dedicated, this isn't one of those games to just pick up and and say like oh I'm going to you know I'll I'll play this over the weekend. If you only play this for a couple hours every week, this game is going to last you like two years. Yeah. It does respect your
1: time, though. We have to talk about that. This game lets you quit out and save anywhere you want. And I would highly suggest you're safe first. Uh, Yes. This game offers a multitude. Like, in the past, bonfires have been the major mechanic to save your game and be at a safe spot and kind of refresh your resources. Dude, This game offers uh, Sights of Grace, which are the new bonfire. But they're every 30 feet. Like, I very rarely get into a case where I am just stranded and I have to run miles and miles back to my body or back to get my runes again or to kind of get back and where you can,
0: was. You can activate them mid-fight. Yeah. So if you are being chased, you can just activate a sight of grace and rest and it kicks all the enemies away.
1: Yeah, and that's... <laughs> I guess we should talk about our own personal play styles. I will tell you that that one benefits me. Um, I am the yes. guy who runs into a new region and I basically get on my horse and run as far and as fast as I can just to see as much as I can. So I get like the top end, you know, like satellite view of this in my head or I'm looking for a map spot, but I'll go yep. around and grab as many sites of grace as I can because I want to make sure that if I, you know, if I'm done with this area and I want to go somewhere else, I'm going to run all the way back there again. I want to kind of freely and easily move between sites. And especially with quests, there are a lot of quests that are like, hey, the first part of it is go over here and get this thing and go back. You can very easily teleport between sites of grace now. Um, oh, yeah. And that's when well, you can teleport from helpful. anywhere either. Yeah. Unless you're in a dungeon. Oh, hey, let's talk about one of those mechanics they don't tell you about. How do you get to roundtable hold? Oh, my God. Roundtable hold, hold the is map. Roundtable Hold, for reference, is like the new hub world where you go to level up and
0: get skills. So go ahead. I press the map and then zoom out and then go all the way to the bottom left. Fucking takes half an hour, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can also
1: highlight the map, hit X, then hit square, and it'll teleport you there automatically. Wait. So open up the map. (laughs) Yeah. Hit X. It'll show you all the sites of grace. And that gives you a list. And at the bottom of that list is a button that says hit square to go to Roundtable Hold. (laughs)
0: awesome <laughs> the other thing that they don't tell that they don't really teach you is so you've got your items on the left where you can use um, you can press down to cycle through different items that you hold and for the first like 40 hours of the game all i would ever have up there in a combat was magic and focus points or uh, health and focus points so if one is down you got to press down on square to replenish that but then if you forget to switch back to your health and you get hit you roll back and you take a drink you're like fuck and boom you're dead yep they now have a pouch system where you can hold triangle and now you have access to four other yep items that you can utilize so now i have focus points I hold triangle and then down on the d-pad because if I'm I can still keep my thumb on the joystick and moving around and like use part of my thumb to hit down to replenish while I'm still moving and then just always keep my health on square yeah game changer with that yeah um I have my buttons flipped around so mine is I hold down x um
1: and that's because oh. I specifically switched up my buttons because I was sick of being sick of riding my horse and not being able to tap the button to pick up resources. So I have my jump button tied to triangle. I think it always is. Or no. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, X. it's X for you. So I have my jump button set to that. And that way when I'm running out around on my horse holding down, Oh, I can just tap X to pick up stuff as I run.
0: Hmm, that's, it, that's actually a good point.
1: Yeah. I, I think it would be very hard for you to switch mid game. Uh, oh, but yeah. I started that way, and I'd played the the open beta, so I knew, like, oh, this isn't going to be for me having to reach up here to hit triangle to jump. <laughs> right. um But yeah, that's a good mechanic. Also, charge attacks. Can we talk about those for a yes. second? Because there's another fucking mechanic the game doesn't tell you about. Every yep. L2 or R2 attack, 90% of them can be charged up to another level by just holding down the button longer, yep. which can be game-changing for certain attacks, like Dragon Claw's. Which can basically oh. go the length of the screen. like they. If you just tap it to use dragon claws, which are just a set of claws that come up out of the ground and kind of like a, an AOE attack that goes forward, um, you can hold it up and the travel duration is like, I don't know, 100 feet. So you get a much bigger range and swath. And that means if you can arrange enemies like bowling pins, you can hit all of them at once, which is That's great because you're going to spend a lot of this game running away from groups of enemies.
0: The other thing, too, is they give you this vial called a wondrous flask. They don't ever explain what to do with it. I sat on that for a long time saying, like, man, I don't want to use this because I don't know what it is. And you collect when you kill people or or kill bosses like legends. So there's there's enemy. There's great enemy. There is legend. And then there's Elden. Yep. And I think when Hmm. you beat a certain tier of them, you get White, blue, purple, brown. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You get these things called something tiers, depending on what the name of the the item is. And you get a a flask where you can mix two of these tiers together and they give you different effects. So one of of the tiers could say like increases strength and then the other one says increases strength or replenishes health over time or reduces lightning uh, damage negation or whatever. And you can mix these together and it's a one-time use flask per life. Like, I just didn't use, I'm constantly using that now. Yeah. I walk into a boss, boom, pop the
1: wondrous flask. Okay, so this is my embarrassing admission. I got through like two days ago before I knew about that. And I just yeah. kept collecting, what the fuck are all these crystal tears for? And I was like, oh, I didn't go to the church with the flask of wondrous Physic. That's what these are for. <laughs> yes. And they are super useful, especially, again, build dependent. Like you can have a flask that, if you're a dex faith build, can like buff faith and then buff that stat at the other stat at the same time. So it's totally yep. customizable. Uh, I didn't know about perfume bottles either. Uh, I I I still haven't investigated those yet. I have a ton. Yeah, they're just a thing that you can craft. And the number of bottles you collect is how many different ones you can have at a time. So you can craft like one of 10 different types of perfume. They're all like throwable status effects. So you can like inflict poison and rot at the same time. Um, So how is that different than just creating those cracked barrels that you throw? Because you can mix them. Oh. And you can collect additional perfume bottles. So you can have like five different types at a time.
0: Which is helpful. And when you throw it, it just like empties
1: the bottle and yes. you have to craft another one? Well, no, you have to go back and um, once you craft it, it's that kind of bottle. Um, and then in order to undo it, you have to craft another time, but it refreshes it, Grace. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Yeah, they're, they're another one. Um, Great runes. There's a mechanic. Totally fucking went right over my head. Because I knew you yeah. had to activate great runes. Did not know that you had to use one of the lunar eclipse, uh, purple things. Uh, oh, shit, what are they called? They're like a, they look like a crescent moon with the moon on the bottom to actually oh, use the those. rune arc. Yeah, the rune arcs. I did not
0: know you had to use one of those to get the status effect of the great rune that you put on. And then you put the, so like you said this earlier, when you beat God, uh, when you beat Margot, you have to go up to the tower across the bridge with the, the, the giants. Yep. To activate that great rune, and then at the site of grace, you can actually equip that great rune. Yep. You can only have one equipped at a time, and then you use that rune arc. Uh, the rune arcs are kind of like the, and I, I'm drawing a name, a blank on the name, it's like but, humanity. Yeah, yeah, humanity. Thanks. So in Demon Souls, you could restore your body. It's very similar to that, where it gives you a a buff for a certain amount of time.
1: Yeah. And it, well, no, they stay on you if you use a rune arc. That rune will stay on you until you die. It's persistent. Uh, oh yeah so that again in this game you don't hollow you're not undead
0: you're just a dude or or if that makes sense because i only use them as i walk into a boss
1: yeah and they are super limited uh but interestingly enough i did not figure this out till last night you can farm rune arcs from rats just like you can just just go help other
0: people beat really easy bosses yeah
1: yeah you can do that too but rats are i remember that was a thing in dark souls you could farm humanity from rats um and you so, really needed them like towards the end of that game because if you had 40 of them, like your item discovery went up and that was nice <laughs> i'm just
0: gonna put this out here fuck rats i am yeah, fuck rats i'm like level 90 i can hit most things with one kill or with i can kill most things with one hit i can still be taken out by a pack of two rats yeah oh yeah at the beginning of the game they're just relentless yeah they suck um they do scale. They level break your poise two. in one hit. Yeah, they it, level scale nuts. too.
1: So there are rats that are much, much harder later in the game.
0: Um yeah. one of the oh, s- well the only thing that's the only thing that's worse than the rats, at least that that I have found, are those goddamn hand spiders. Yeah, those are
1: emotionally crippling to me. I don't know what the fuck it is about those, but like I seriously get the heebie jeebies every
0: time I see one. I hate them. So imagine <laughs> a hand that's been severed just behind the wrist. And then has two additional fingers by the pinky and they crawl at you like a spider. Yep. And, and the then big there's ones a have, giant one. Yeah. The 10 that fingers. Has a, <laughs> yeah. It has a ring on its middle finger and it raises its middle finger at you <laughs> to say, hey, fuck you. I'm going to kill you and then kills you with a magic spell. Yep. I see those things and just run. Yeah. They're awful. And they become really prevalent
1: later in the game. There, yep, there's up on like there's an early I guess it's a dungeon the manor up on the hill like where that mm-hmm. is the only enemy and it is just absolutely terrifying for me. I don't know what it is like I don't mind spiders, but the hand spiders freak me the fuck out. Yeah. Um, I, And also I have to say the return of the Basil- basilisk is
0: not my favorite thing. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> oh, I hate I've only, basilisk. I've, I've only I've only had to fight a handful of them. But yeah, they suck. The big bulgy-eyed frog things that hit yep. you with curse. Yep, and this things. game, it's
1: I think it's actual literal death this time they hit you with. But it's yeah. the same mechanic, and it builds up super fast. They just run around you and fart this shit out. There's always two of them, so you can't ever get out of the cloud. At least now they give you an item that you can craft so you can get, you know, lower the curse rate or the death rate. But man, it sucks. But if you Well then there's the, <laughs> there's the one whole effects. section of this game you may not have found it yet, but it's another one of the secrets tied to that big starry world um where it's all basilisks. <laughs> and Ooh. I gotta tell you,
0: it's got a great reward and it was shit. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, the the status effects in this game last infinitely longer, too. Yeah. Everyone but craft. poison. Poison is really, really pretty
1: accommodating now, but Scarlet Rot sucks. Oh, see, I was thinking spoil- poison lasted a long time. No, I think poison is the... I think it has a bigger effect like per second in terms of tick, but I think it lasts... I know it lasts a lot less time than Scarlet Rot. Scarlet Rot sucks because it's a status effect that builds up extraordinarily fast, and it sticks yep. to you forever.
0: Um, well, and if you get into an area with Scarlet Rot, you don't necessarily have to be standing in the Scarlet Rot to be affected by it. You just need to be near it. Yeah,
1: or so bit by a rat that's
0: crawling around in it. <laughs> there's a cave called Abandoned Cave, which has the Golden Scarab Beetle Talisman, which gives you 20% extra health. Yep. But to get to the boss, it's just running through a sewer of Scarlet Rot. And, you know, harken back to Blight Town, where, you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to stand on this like little pocket of land so I'm up above the poison let my poison go down and then run again you can't do that you're just you're going to get to the boss inflicted with scarlet rot and if you don't have any of those boluses, you're screwed you want me
1: to break your spirit now or yeah. you want me to let you find it on its own you know that hidden area oh. that I was talking about you know what it's called <laughs> the lake of rot <laughs> oh, th-
0: I'll be <laughs> skipping that one
1: no you don't want to it's got a really good boss in it <laughs> Uh, Oh, and it's shit. (laughs) That that was one where I went out and crafted like 50 of those boluses. Like, yep, I'm just fucking powering through this.
0: (laughs) How do you get different boluses to craft? Because Dan is able to craft the poison ones. I have no idea. I have a billion cookbooks. Yeah, you have to go find the specific
1: cookbook for it. And the easiest way to do it is just go visit the vendors. Um, And tons of them are really hard to find. But like... If you see a cliffside that's got an inkling that you can crawl around it, crawl around it because there's probably a vendor. Vendors, I think, sell almost all of the cookbooks except for like the purple cookbooks. Um, and I think Scarlet Rot you bought somewhere in uh,
0: the the zone that's known as Hell. Um, and that's that's something nice that they did on the latest patch where you can highlight a site of grace and it'll tell you.
1: Yeah. Which
0: NPCs are there or nearby.
1: Yeah. Well, and they also give you quest markers. Like if you're on an active quest now and you need to go see somebody in a new zone, like it'll actually show you like a little red spot where they're supposed to be, uh, which is really helpful. Because, again, the one quest that I did um, and no spoilers, this is a, a Souls game trope. It's been there uh, for from software games ever since Kingfields. But the Moonlight Great Sword is in this game. Um, oh, and the quest, you to love g- that thing. Oh yeah. And the quest to get it is easily 30 steps. Um, it's, that's why I haven't beaten the game yet. Cause I get derailed trying to figure it out. And that's how I ended up in the Lake of rot. That's how I ended up in that boss. Um, and it's not easy. Uh, <laughs> and it's really not easy where you don't know where you're supposed to go. And so having that marker there to at least tell you like, Hey, you need to go here and look for somebody um is really great but from that one quest i got the moonlight greatsword which fires laser beams and is wonderful and i also got a blide's armor who is blide's armor is the big wolf man um and you get his armor and his weapon through that quest which
0: is totally worth it especially so speaking speaking of blide yes how many tries did it take you to beat uh raggedon Oh, Radon? Uh, Radon so, the Star Scourge? So I had watched,
1: I had um, gone in and fought him on horseback, what I considered to be the real way, easily 20 times. And then I finally gave it up and summoned somebody in to help me. I got summoned into somebody else's world. And then I figured out that there was this glorious thing called Dragon Rot Breath, uh, yeah. which is a spell that you get from the Dragon Cathedrals. And I tried it like I went and got it myself. I watched him just power through this boss with it. And then I went and tried it and it was just going to like I had the effect, but I wasn't leveled up enough in arcane uh, to really get like a a good a good rot on him. So I went back and did it another 20 times and finally beat him in melee. Um, And it was rough. It was really rough until I figured out if I was just not a dumbass and explored that map a little more, I'd have found out that there's a healing summon. Um, and I did not know yep. that she's, she's, so that whole fight is a horseback fight. Um, you run in there, there's one big boss running around the room on his tiny little hilarious horse It's so uh, fun. and you get s- probably 10 summon signs and your job in that fight. What I figured out was just to go summon all of the dudes and wait for him to die and then resummon, them, resummon them again and really just let them kill the boss. And it takes forever if you do that.
0: Um,
1: But But you also have... Yeah,
0: go ahead. There's a strategy to that, though. Yes. Because you can't just wait till your summons die to then go around and resummon them. You have to time it perfectly because you can only have six up at a time. Yeah. Which sounds like a lot, but they die very quickly. And this map is colossal. Yeah. And there's certain points around the map. If you look up, you can see like these these ghostly visages of a flag in the sky, that's where the summon signs might appear. And you have to keep riding back and forth between these to see where they appear. And if at any point, all of your summons die, Radon turns his attention to you. And if that happens, you're fucked. Yeah. You're terrible. Uh, and also at 50%
1: health, he just turns into a giant comet that hits the map wherever the fuck it wants. And if he wants you to die, you die. You like, die. I I watched a bunch of people after I fought that, like, how the fuck did everybody else do that? And everybody had said, like, ridiculous things like, well, when you see the comet, you run perpendicular on the map and then you find where he's coming down and you get on the other side of the hill. And I'm like, that is literally impossible to do. Half the time he turns into a comet, like the screen turns red and I just die. So, yeah. like, I must have lucked out into it. My my
0: answer to everything with Radon was run the fuck away. <laughs> I have this really weird phenomenon that happens to me with, with bosses in most souls game. This one's in this one in particular where I go in and I fight them and I almost kill them first try like, Oh, that's not that bad. Can't even get close to it for 30 more tries. Yeah. The next time I come in, die instantly. I don't know what it is. I I had that happen with Radon. I got him down to like 20%. My very first try and went, Oh, I can do this. Uh, probably 20, 25 tries later, I beat him. And once I adopted the horse strategy, I beat him without getting hit once. Yeah.
1: But you do, you have to have a strategy for a boss like that. Um, but it was a 20 minute
0: boss fight at that yeah. point.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, even just, and as Eric mentioned before, Khaled, the region where he is in, like, it's not fun to even get to him. Uh no. that, that region, I feel like if they had switched out that and like Lyarluna, which is where the academy is, like that would have mm-hmm. been a better game, but the natural path was straight to Radon. Um and it it's challenging, man. Like Margit the first real boss in that game, is a gatekeeper for skill. Radon yep. is a gatekeeper for patience and your ability yep. to learn that game. Uh so I again this is back to my like if you don't like Dark Souls, you're not going to like it. But, like, that was such an eye-opener to me. Like, oh, this game is intentionally through design um, telling me where it wants to go. And I, I find that phenomenal. Like, again, every time I die- have died in Elden Ring, I think I can count on my one hand the number of times that I died for something not my fault. Right. Um, most of the time, it's my fault. Like, I got the the boss that I'm up to now is at the end of the Giant's Mountains um, and I got fucked on him because I had him down to 25% health and then I got kicked offline because Elden Ring just patches whenever the fuck it wants. Yep, Uh, I got kicked offline and then after I get kicked offline, it's usually fine cause you can play an online, but then my hits no longer registered damage. Oh fun. Yeah. So I kept swinging at him for 20 more minutes and then I finally just gave up and quit for the night last night. And I was like, Nope, not today. Satan. Nope. You know, <laughs> I don't need to be this angry at this right now. It's it's really sort of nonsensical.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'll, if you're if you're a type of person that gets frustrated at games very easily, take a hard pass on this. Yeah. Well, and learn to give up.
1: You, you do. Yeah. You have to walk. If you played this game for like three hours at a time and you just hit a point where the game has taught you like this is how you have to play. And then it changes up the play style and you can't get your head around it. Fucking walk away. Like yeah. I, I some of the the best experiences I've had with Dark Souls is like you know what I need to go get a cup of coffee or I need to go get some lunch and as I'm sitting there figuring you know like doing whatever it is I'm doing I figure out the strategy for it or I just totally let go of the brain space of like okay I have to walk forward with my shield up for a half an hour and go very slow and I'm like no in this section I'm running from a fucking chariot which whoever designed the chariot can eat a dick. Oh like- my god, yes. <laughs>
0: Well and then there's one section where you have to go against every every uh, intuition and jump on top of him.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I'm I'm at, I'm at a counter in Lindell where I think it's the last chariot like cuz I've had three of them, right? I had the one in the opening area which can eat a dick cuz I did not want to do that, but I was like, no, no, I'm not going out in the main area unless I get to this fucking opening dungeon. And I didn't realize, like, that is not an opening dungeon. No. <laughs> That's like no, a comeback 10 hours later dungeon. Uh, but I get powered that. through it. I got a great amulet out of it, so I was happy. But now I'm on the third one where it's like not just a jumping puzzle. But like a running, jumping puzzle with Scarlet Rot and poison on you. Oh, and by the way, here's a bunch of midgets that have razor blades on sticks, and it's terrible. Oh, God. So like, it, I I do have sections of the game that I've just walked away from
0: and kind of like not today. Um, H- hilarious enemies though too. I mean you mentioned midget with sticks? He's he's not lying. They actually are mid- midgets
1: with sticks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, my favorite are the marionette soldiers who have four arms. Yep. Some of them have a bow and arrow in each hand. Others, my favorite have a sword or a katana in each hand and they'll come at you like a freaking helicopter. And then they'll just get so dizzy that they fall over in front of you. Just absolutely hilarious enemy.
1: Yeah. I've died a bunch to the marionette soldiers, the ones with the crossbows that can mm-hmm. just auto fire crossbows from both hands. And then I look like, Oh, you never played the dark souls three DLC. Uh, but there's one section where it's gate kept by this puzzle fight and there are literally a thousand archers out on the field and they all fire at you at once in unison. And like every time you die, you're not just a character anymore. You're a character with a bunch of arrows. You're just a pincushion. And like I've come out like that with those fucking marionettes in sections where I was way too far from where I needed to be. <laughs> like, oh, I fucking damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. the Like in that magma, f- the the magma worm fight. Yep. You remember that early on? Like that whole yep. section is gate kept by marionettes. And there were times where I was like, I need to put the $70 controller down right now.
0: (laughs) They're frustrating. But, well, there's a section by Raya Lucaria where there are hot air balloons in the sky with marionette soldiers suspended below them. Yep. There's there's no shortage of creativity in this game. And it's just breathtaking, the amount of care and attention. There's so many times where I've come up and just looked at a vista and stopped. Like, man, that's cool. Yeah, and I mean, like,
1: take Raya Lucaria. Like, if you step back and look at that from afar, it looks like a Disney castle.
0: Like, and the way it's
1: animated from certain angles and the clouds and, like, especially, my other favorite thing is the use of birds for scale in this game. Yep. Um, Because it feels a lot like in Demon's Souls when you reach the old one. And you, like, how big is this thing? And then you see the flock of seagulls go by it and you're like, oh, shit, I'm gonna die. You know, because it's the size of the Chrysler building compared to you um and they do that a lot in elden ring like and i don't know if it's on the playstation 4 version i guess i should go play that at some point um but like definitely in the playstation 5 version like it's very visually um convincing that it's a real world because stuff is oftentimes just happening in the background like rabbits are running from foxes or birds are taking off from here or there hell enemies are fighting out in scripted ways on the fields at times
0: yep draw distances are colossal too yeah which is why it's i'm so sure big. the
1: frame rate is not great. <laughs> yeah. And i i do have to stop and say like this game doesn't perform like it should. It definitely does I
0: I am I'm playing 100% in performance mode. Yeah. I've tried to flip over to fidelity and i just don't see the difference. Not enough. And now. i can't i can't go back to to 30 fps. I just can't do it.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, let's face it, this is not a 60 frames per second game anywhere just yet. I mean, you can play the PlayStation 4 version on PlayStation 5 and get that, but you lose a lot of visual fidelity. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, it's janky. It hitches. It's as good as Dark Souls 3 was on a PlayStation 4 Pro, though. So it's very playable. Um, but there are definitely like some moments where I'm like, uh, I wish the frame rate would stay steady out so I could see this hail of arrows coming at my face.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, it's just like with the, the when you launch into the Radon fight, he fires these arrows at you from a distance where you have exactly one frame to dodge it. Yep. And if you're wrong, you you die. It's a one hit kill. You just die. Yeah. I actually
1: found it was much easier to put on my headphones and navigate by sound in that fight. Yep. Um, but you know, again, performance woes aside, it runs pretty well. Uh, I think on the PC version, those people have gotten the shorter end of the stick, definitely newer consoles are running it better um yeah. i had the first patch for elden ring on pc literally said uh we fixed a bug where sometimes your gpu wasn't being used at all like that's a pretty mm-hmm. big bug
0: <laughs> oh i'm just gonna use onboard graphics yeah, awesome. yeah
1: this is running in cpu mode Ooh, yeah. <laughs> like,
0: good so, i'm gonna need to check the quality of that cpu
1: yeah holy shit no it's a sirix i'm done um <laughs> but yeah I, I like ultimately i think this game Again, we can go into lots of spoilers. I can get into the whole, like, Moripovich Povich family of gods in Elden Ring. Uh, There's but, so much to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, seriously, like, when you look at the structure of the guys that you're fighting in this game, it paints an interesting picture. Um, especially, and not for nothing, I won't spoil it, but, like, once you get up to Lindell um, and you mm-hmm. start paying attention to the statues, <laughs> like, there are some pretty epic, like, whoa moments in the story.
0: Well, this. even coming up to Lindell too, Tom and I were exploring together and we were talking about just the the attention to detail within the world, not only just like this is a really cool environment, but painting this picture like something happened here. Yeah. Like this this must have been an enormous battle. You have craters the, the size of a house with this gigantic giant spear. Stuck behind it all over the battlefield. Yeah. What the fuck happened here? Places are decimated. There's soldiers everywhere. Or you come up onto Mount Gemblin. Same thing. Something something happened here. And for a vast majority of people, you'll never find out because the game does not spoon feed you that there's there are very few cutscenes. Yep. Most of them are either leading into a boss or transition from boss phase one to phase two. That's yeah. it.
1: Yeah. And again, most of the story is told through item descriptions, weapon descriptions, and just environmental storytelling. Like, I thought one of the most beautiful things, and I'm I'm sure like a million YouTubers have figured this out, um, was the story of Castle Morn. Um, because mm-hmm. you got to see it, right? Like, you just find this girl by the side of the road, and she tells you, like, I'm escaping from Castle Morn, and some shit has gone down there. Um, and my father's still there, and I really, you know, I want him to get out. And then you wander down a little bit down the road and you see her carriage that was attacked and it's been attacked by fucking werewolves and it's surrounded by like some shit that's not supposed to be there. And then when you get to castle Morn like, though that is what's attacking the castle and you find your dad, you can eventually bring her dad back to her. But like none of it is spoon fed to you. You have to figure yeah. out what happened and why it happened to these people, you know, like just from looking around at the environment and that to and me, at the is, end of the
0: day it doesn't matter at all to no, the story. No. No.
1: I mean it's like a French film fucking everybody's going to die but yeah. like the important thing is why they died. And that can lead to stuff because if you like if you didn't take that story beat, you may not have ever found your way to Castle Morn. Because Castle Morn is not a requirement of this game. It's a good place to go to level up. It's certainly a good place to go to um, Find some good weapons and stuff, but like Castle Mourn itself is not a requirement in the game. So you don't have to go there at all. And without that, no, that whole
0: surge, southern part of the section below Lingrave, or uh, yeah, Lingrave, entirely optional.
1: Yeah. And like the prison system, there's another interesting thing. Like there's really a ton of lore built into why the people and the things that are in those Evergals are there. And if you go find the story beats to them, like there's a lot more that can enhance your experience. Like in most of the Evergals, you can summon an NPC, which is important because you can't summon your Ashes of War in there. And like that kind of fills out that story. So I I just again, I find that kind of design incredible. Um, And, you know, to your earlier point about like, why are people so toxic? Why is Dark Souls, you know, considered this niche thing? I think it's because the people that love those sort of things love it and they don't want to see it change. And they don't want to are very protective yeah.
0: because, you know, we've seen we've seen niche games catch the mainstream and then they've suddenly they now suddenly have to appeal to a mainstream audience and then they get ruined. Yeah, because as we know in society, the vocal minority has the biggest impact <laughs> because they make themselves seem louder than they really are. And we don't want to see something like that happen because the essence of everything that makes a souls game. Great is in Elden ring. Like this is the boiled down. Here is everything about a souls game. That's awesome with all of the fat stripped away. Yeah. And look at, look at dark souls Two. You and I both can agree that that game kind of (laughs) sucks. It's a, it's a good souls game. It just kind of sucks because they took the motto of, Oh, Dark Souls one was great. Like, let's do let's do that again, but just add more of it. But you y- y- within a game, you have a certain buffer for bullshit. And when you have more of the game, you get more of the bullshit and your buffer starts to wear thin. And that's what you and I hit. We're like, I'm 50 hours into this. I'm just kind of over this bullshit. Yeah. And I, I, the Elden hook, Ring the hook gets done. rid of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, you know, I, and I'll ask you this kind of introspectively. I look at Dark Souls 2 now in a much different light. I feel like Dark Souls 2 is trying to be Elden Ring, but failed to have an open world to connect it. Right. Like, because that story is enormous. The regions that you go to are very vast and different. And it's everything is huge. And so you do get like that, you know, like even sort of um, you get worn out on bosses but again, I think that's because Dark Souls 2 didn't have a big open world to put you into those zones that connected it and help you figure out that like sometimes you don't want to just go from boss to boss to boss. Sometimes you want to explore. Sometimes you want to do these other things. Um but well, I at the thing, the, look the other at it in thing a too that
0: the, Oh go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say it just kind of paints that game in a different light. And I don't know if that was the intention, but I could definitely see like if somebody went back and said like, hey, we're gonna rebuild Dark Souls 2 with an open world. Like I'd be all about it just to see right. if it could come as close to Elden Ring as it. I think it could.
0: Well, the thing that for me they really stripped away that I kind of liked it about the original Demon's Soul or what, what I liked in Demon's Souls, but it started to wear thin, especially as the games got longer. Demon's Souls is a short game; you can beat that game in fifteen hours. Yeah. Granted, your first playthrough is probably gonna be closer to thirty, but new game plus drops it down to about fourteen. I can get through it in about eight, even on a first playthrough. I, yeah. I can get through it pretty quick. But I know it and the thing that I really enjoyed about it too was that it made that feeling of beating a boss really powerful because every single time you wanted to fight the boss you had to get there first and that was that was great at the time but it started to wear thin with Dark Souls 2 because you're, there's like 40 bosses and that started to, to wear thin where you had to like fight through all these enemies just to get to the boss. Elden Ring stripped that away. If you die at a boss, there's a stake of Marika right outside the gate yeah. and you just try him again.
1: Oh man, that's a fucking mechanic we should talk about. The stakes of Marika are the game savers for this game. Without right. them, it would be a different game.
0: But- there's not like some dungeons like that abandoned cave they don't have it, which is bullshit but yep. I can give it a pass because it's like, oh, there's not very many like this. I can do this and it, it, it's refreshing to a degree. Sure. One,
1: well, it might also be gatekeeping you and telling you like if you can't manage this on like one go you probably need to come back later right Right. um and that's you know i'll I'll say it like this like there are so many systems in this game that i didn't even know that i wanted that i feel like i can look back now and say like i love sekiro i think it's a great game i know we differ in opinion but that game (sighs) is the mechanical setup for elden Ring. Like you can right. see the experimentation like in and, and Sekiro, like stealth was a core component, but they were trying to figure out, like, does it make sense to force you into it or does it need to be more organic? And the result is Elden Ring where it's your choice and right. each option is viable. Um, the same can kind of be said of like other mechanics like the grapple. Like you can see the grapple doesn't really work in Sekiro because it's a point A to point B, but those all have to be grafted and mapped out. Right. Like it has yeah. to be a very linear game with a very specific intention to get you to use them. So it doesn't really make sense in an Elden Ring. But like some of the sword play stuff. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Like I'm pretty sure with the right ashes of war on the right weapons, you could play this game a lot more like Sekiro than you you would probably like. But I bet you could. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So like I appreciate the Souls games for what they brought to it. And I agree. Like if you play them all. In the range of, like, best to worst, Dark Souls is still going to appear sort of down towards the bottom of the list. Shakiro mm-hmm. is going to sit down there, too, because it doesn't really enhance the Souls formula. It's just an offshoot game. But, like, as you progress through Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, like, you can see a very specific of evolution towards Elden Ring um, right. that I couldn't see before I played it. Because, again, all of these systems that have worked in previous games are all kind of commingled and like Eric said, to strip the fat out and figure out what's actually necessary to make a game fun and what's not. And that's man, that's incredible. When somebody hits so, the nail right on the head, it's like hearing a home run. You just know it's it's right.
0: Yeah. So in the hierarchy of souls, we could we could spend months talking about this game. Sure. And, you know, I think it, it might behoove us to uh, put a pin in it. But in the hierarchy of souls games, where does this now fall for you?
1: Um, I'll go further than just Souls game. This is in my top three games of all time. Agreed. And I haven't even finished it. So number one. Um, And not because I don't have amazing love for Dark Souls 1, uh, Bloodborne in particular, um, and even Sekiro. Like, I do love those games, but none of those games approach this in terms of what it tries to achieve versus what it actually accomplishes. Yeah. And I, I'm not even agreed this unless I get to some slug at the end where they give me like a boss rush I'm really gonna just i'll I'll say it like if I quit this game today I would still say it's my favorite game of all time or one of my agreed. favorite games of all time and I have to measure that guys I'm old so like I have to put you know like some game that came out thirty years ago that nobody remembers in my top three because that was a game changer for me um you know and, and like if I was born yesterday and I you know magically knew how to play video games I still say this would be in my top five because it's just that ridiculously good
0: well and I think people conflate the two ideas of favorite game of all time and best game ever played they're two completely separate lists this is the best game of all time that I've played yeah but it's now also one of my favorite games I've ever played
1: yeah and that's very rarely a thing right like Just because it's the best game doesn't always make it in your top three because you have uh, empathy (laughs) because you have personal experience because you have your own personal bias. Like your top three may not be the best three games of all time because like for me, you know, like in my top 10 favorite games of all time, like Jack Nicholas Golf on the TurboGrafx because my dad and I used to play it together and like River Raid on the Atari 2600 again because my dad and I used to play it together. But that doesn't make them good games. It just makes it a good game to me.
0: Well, and I think LD, Ellie is going to have some really cool memories with this. Probably bad parenting choice, but I let yeah. her watch me play this. And she gets really excited about it. And, and I still fall victim to that same trope within Souls games. Like, oh, the boss has 5% health. I have 5% health. <laughs> Let's do something stupid and yeah. die all the time. So as the bosses start to get really low, she's like, dad, don't rush in dad, don't rush in. Like She's just that little birdie on my shoulder reminding me, don't be stupid. And I'm sitting there going, I get it. And I die. She's like, dad, don't do that. <sighs> Fine. I know how you are
1: with your kids, so I imagine you're a lot like Yosemite Sam in those moments right after the boss fight's over. Like, hold on, honey. Let me go to the garage or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it,
0: it's fantastic. I think... You know, to kind of circle back to what we originally started talking about with this. If this game piques your interest, ask yourself why. Why are you interested in it? Are you interested in it because everybody else is? Or are you interested in it because you know what it is and you're ready to actually like try that style of game? But my my sincere, wholehearted recommendation is know what you're getting into before you get into it because we've all been there where we've bought a game at full price and went this isn't what i thought it was going to be and you just you you regret it and you'd be doing yourself a disservice I'll, I'll say it again this game is not for everyone and i i know that probably sounds elitist but i always try to make like genuine recommendations to people, especially my friends, based on what I know they're interested in and and their own personal gaming tastes and style. I've had plenty of friends like, no, this game would not be good for you. You just you personally probably wouldn't like it. And I'm going to save you the money, but you're welcome to try it. But just know that my knowledge of you and what you play and how you play might not be the best fit. Give it a shot if you want to. But here's all the information.
1: Sure. And I mean, and you're right, it's not a universal game. Um, I I wouldn't recommend somebody who only played Call of Duty and, you know, Amazing Gun Killer 7. I I wouldn't recommend that they play Undertale either. So no. like it's in that same vein. Like, a, again, you, you got to know what you like. And one of those things is going to have to be a challenge.
0: Yeah. Can you can you moderate your emotions enough? Because if you. If you get killed in a multiplayer game and yell and scream at the TV about something being, you know, cheaters, hackers, whatever, like stupid, (laughs) unfair. Yeah, you're going to struggle. And it, it may be a good way to, like, temper that. But, you know, it's really hard to explain to someone who's never played a Souls game what a Souls game is because there's nothing else to compare it to. I agree.
1: And like that core underlying concept, and it is really frustrating for me to say this uh, because I know how it sounds. I swear to God I do. And I don't mean this in an elitist way. If you die in Elden Ring, it's your fault.
0: 100%. It's never the game's fault. Yeah,
1: rarely. Like in most of the Souls games, that's true. And you really have to be introspective about that. The game is telling you something. What is that something?
0: Yeah, the hitboxes are impeccably measured. And if if you get hit by that, you got hit. It's not like, oh, I was far. No, you weren't. You got hit. Even in some of the bullshit things, like... Cause
1: I, I, it's fair to say that you got like cheesed or you got bullshit, but it's still your fault. Like my favorite one is so far was fighting the boss on an edge of a cliff, having him down to like 1% and him just yeeting me off the other side of the cliff because he could. Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck, that's still my fault because I know he has this knockback. I have to shield for it. The knockback range is this far. Like it's my fault. It did feel like shit in that moment,
0: <laughs> but I should have known, better. but I should and have if- known. <laughs> If you can come into this game with that mindset of like, you know what? I'm probably going to suck and I'm going to die a ton. But I can handle that. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I want as many people to play this game because I want them to make an Elden Ring 2. I mean, shit, they've already made almost a billion dollars in revenue. They're going to make a second one. Yeah, this
1: is a new IP for from now. And it's different enough. I think it actually has. I mean, what it sold 12 million copies in the first week it was out. Which, for reference, took Dark Souls three years. So, So, I I think everybody's looking at franchise rights.
0: (laughs) I think what's going to be the one frustrating part about this is everybody's been clamoring for a Bloodborne 2. Yeah. And I think that no matter what comes out, regardless of how good it is, if it's not as good or better than Elden Ring, it's going to be shit. Because if it's just bloodborne in like the original bloodborne style nobody's gonna like that They're like man this just feels
1: dated well and and this is gonna sound surprising coming to me king of like i'm holding my bloodborne coffee cup here i don't want a bloodborne 2 if i'm being honest i'd be
0: fine without one
1: yeah i want a remaster i want a 60 frames per second patch in it to be preserved but bloodborne yeah, is like a, demon souls yeah bloodborne is a self-contained story and after you get to the DLC, you realize it's a perfect self-contained story. It's a self-contained game. Everything about that game is it about it being a singular experience. And I think if you tried to do it again, Eric's right. You're going to have to go in and completely reinvent another story. So why not just use another IP to do that? And then give right. me a fucking 60 frame for a second, batch? You know, like, I I don't know how to say that any other way. And again, if you haven't beaten the DLC and you don't understand how that story works, you may not know this. But it's not Dark Souls where it's a cyclical thing, right? Like, Dark Souls has an ending, too. It's at the end of the Dark Souls 3 DLC. Um, but it completes a story. It completes a cycle. And then you choose if there's going to be another cycle. But it's going to be the same cycle. I feel like Elden Ring is a interesting blend. And again, I haven't finished it yet. But when I look at the hierarchy of characters, right? And I'm going to do 10 seconds here on lore if you're okay with that. Um, Go for it. Uh, the lore of, Demon, or of Elden Ring revolves around two central characters. And they are Queen Merica and then this thing that you I haven't seen anyway. Um, but it's called the Outer Will. And Queen Merica has driven everything in this story. All of the characters in this game are related to, or a part of Queen Merica's story. And again, I will not spoil anything, but a lot more than it would initially seem. Um, And I'll tell you that all of the gods, for lack of a better term, or all the rune holders or shard holders are specifically related to Queen Merica, who is related in some way, and I haven't quite figured it out yet, to the Outer Will. For me, the Outer Will sounds like a Bloodborne boss. Mm-hmm. Because it exists outside of this very material world that Queen Merica lives in and drives her. And in fact, the central, and I'm not spoiling anything, it, it says very specifically, like in the initial trailers and really even in the story setup, the story of Elden Ring is about Queen Merica breaking from the outer will and shattering the Elden Ring. And then the conflict that you see out on the battlefields and through the storytelling is about the two factions of deities in that world that either agree with her or disagree with her. So for me, like this is the next bloodborne, right? Because bloodborne is about the accidental discovery of something like the outer God, right? Or something like the outer presence or whatever it's deemed to be in the outer will. Bloodborne is about the accidental discovery of that outer will, outer God, and then everything that happens as a result of it. But nothing really matters after you discover that outer will because your whole world is now based on that concept of that existing. And I feel like Elden Ring could really set up to be kind of a spiritual successor to Bloodborne. again, I haven't reached it, um, the end to find out yet. And I'm sure like, there's going to be a lot open to interpretation. I've beat three bosses so far that have presented a different scenario for how the game should end. And I'm assuming that that's going to lead to at least three different possible endings or three different paths. There are definite
0: definite endings.
1: I'm guessing there's probably more than that. Um, but I'm, you know, like to me, this is a spiritual successor to Bloodborne because it's the same basic concept. Maybe Queen Merica discovered the outer will by accident or it found her, but it doesn't matter because it's now involved with her life her, her culture, her people. And here's the effect on it. So, again, right. I don't need a Bloodborne, too. I
0: got it, you know. Right. And in a lot of That's ways, Dark point. Souls was like it. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, I am fully, thoroughly hooked. Um I think that we all know that I tend to bounce between games pretty easily. <laughs> I'm fully hooked on this. I've been looking forward to Tunic for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Came out on Friday. I played 30 minutes of it and immediately booted back up Elden Ring. Do, do you ten fi- seconds on what's
1: that? Do you find that draw like as you're sitting there just working on something else? Huh. I was thinking about Elden Ring. That's probably not good. You know, (laughs) I'm at a doctor's appointment. I really wish I wasn't here so I could be playing Elden Ring. That's probably not good. You know, I definitely have that sense of like, I need to get back and play Elden Ring. I need to finish this meeting so I can do that.
0: Well, and now that my my work computer, my work desk is downstairs in my game room, it's like "Ah, Elden Ring's right there. Yeah. It's right there. And I've got that collector's edition box from you. Yep on the shelf behind me that I can see in my webcam during meetings. <laughs> like it's Elden Ring. It's like right there. It's just everywhere. It's
1: yeah. a True I story. I, I actually found myself like, Oh, I want to play this a little too much. So like, I actually literally spent the, the last week in my office so I could focus. So I mm. could break that trend of like, oh, I'm off work. I'm going to go straight and play Elden Ring. Like I got other shit in my life. I got to do so. Right. I, I'm an adult. Yeah. I got to, I got to break those habits when I see them popping up. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a draw. Uh, so
0: 20 yeah. seconds on on Tunic. I, I fully intend to play more of it. It is the best of Zelda mixed with the best of souls. It's a great little mesh together. Top down isometric Zelda style. The coolest aspect of the game is that it doesn't tell you anything. It just says figure it out. And you collect these little pages from instruction ma- that make it look like an instruction manual from the 90s, say, complete with art style, um, exactly how they would look from you know *Links <laughs> Awakening* when you'd open it up and and be reading that. So that's sort of how things get deciphered throughout the game. You learn new information. There's some English. There's some runic arcs in there, or uh, some uh, archaic runes in there that that help you decipher certain things, but you collect these different pages and fill that out and create an instruction manual. I'm only 30 minutes into the game and, um, I want to play that, but like, that's how obsessed I am right now with, with Elden ring. So yeah, I don't see myself tapering off. Dan has beat it. Tom, I think is, he's like 30 hours ahead of me, but we're still pretty close to the same place in the overall like trajectory of the game.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm right around. Like I said, I think I'm a touch ahead of you. Um, and it's funny because when you look at like trophies, that's one thing that sticks at you. Man, this game is stingy with trophies. <laughs> so like right. Dan is beating it and I think he's at like 50% of the trophies. I'm the same way. Like I'm almost to the end. I'm like 37 So, (laughs) like... Maybe
0: 25 for me.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, even if you really go and look at that, like, that speaks to how big the game is. And sure, there's going to be some bullshit trophies, like, collect all of this, or, you know, level something up to all of that. But most of the trophies that I've found have been based on bosses or new areas that I've been into. So, again, that leads me to believe that I am missing at least something, if not a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. So, So, I'm going to be stuck on this game for months to come. Well let's not get ahead of ourselves for quite a time to come so uh, yeah. i'm i'm sure that in future shows we're going to talk quite a bit about this especially once it gets to the point where we've all beaten it and we can like gush over the ending and where we think things are going to go from here and yeah. new things we've discovered but i think that we've done quite a quite a justice to the initial impressions of the game play it <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: if you think it'll be good for you
1: if you think it'll be good for you
0: yeah, yeah. i'm going to sit here and try and dig out of my pile of elden ring boxes uh, yeah, you bought you you know, I guess you and I both understand the appeal of buying more than one copy of a game, but I think that you may have gone overboard. How many have. copies did you end up buying? So, Seven.
1: So I have three left after selling four. That's that's my way of committing. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I bought. Um, I knew you were gonna want one. I know you said up front like, "Oh, I'm not gonna order it," but I knew the second it come out, you'd be like, "I want it." So I bought <laughs> you one. <laughs> which is just what I do now. Like you're going to want it eventually. So I'll just keep it. Um, For the record, you know, if so, anybody knows like, no, I didn't use a bot to get any of these. Um, I bought several collection editions from several different vendors and I bought like one from each. Um, But I also managed to get a hold of a premium collector's edition, which I opened because it's not technically sealed uh, and then realized that it has some assembly required and it's worth a little too much money for me to be screwing stuff together. Um, But the interesting thing was, yeah, so I have three collector's editions right now, one for PlayStation 5, one for Xbox, and I think I have one for PlayStation 4 that somebody else has spoken for. Um, and then I have this helmet edition. The odd thing about my helmet <laughs> edition, um, is that they're, they, they professed when they put these out, like, they're only going to be 6,000 of these. Um, so each one got a certificate of authenticity that told you what numbers you were, your, what numbers, uh, helmet you got, and mine has a certificate, but it, the certificate number is blank. So, in doing a little bit of research, I found some other people that have this too, and the the story as it goes, and I have no idea of verifying if this is true, but it seems logical, was that Namco had originally only intended to sell six thousand of them. They ordered six thousand one hundred and fifty of them, and I'll get to that number in a second because it's specific. Uh, For returns, damages, replacements. Hey, we've got some influencers we want to give some to. Uh, But then somebody on the U.S. Namco Bandai site, which was the only place you could buy this premium edition that came with the helmet. um, Somebody on the U.S. site after the 6,000 had sold out said, oh, yeah, don't worry. We're going to sell these in the U.S. and made a commitment to them. So they didn't have any units left to sell. So they broke into that 150 of damages and replacements. And that was all that was sold in the U.S., um And then so there are no more damages, repairs or returns. Well, at, I, again, you kind of take stories like that as a collector of like, yeah, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm sure that's what happened. Uh, but I looked on the side of the outer packaging in which my premium edition came and it's number 57 of 150 and five wow. other people with that same designation out of that 150 have the same thing that I do with a certificate with no actual number on it. So it sounds legit. Somebody apparently from Bandai Namco went into that same Reddit thread where everybody was talking about it and said like, yeah, this is what happened. But I find that fascinating. Like now there's a subset of a subset of something really highly collectible and I have one and I'm very excited. So I'm never Ooh. selling it. <laughs> yeah. So it's mine forever. As but yeah, I shouldn't. bought, I bought quite a few. Um, but, you know, like, again, like, uh, I in the age of bots, I always want to make sure that if I have a friend that is really into something that they can buy one, I will likely only keep one of these. Um, and I actually bought a digital version for myself because I wanted to play it at midnight and not deal with the bullshit. So I'll keep one. I'll sell the rest. Every one that I've sold, you know, like Eric can verify this. I didn't mark it up. I didn't sell it for 300 bucks. I sold it. You know, like, no. here's the receipt. You can have it for that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I ended up with a lot of copies of Elden Ring. To the point, my wife I mean, was nervous. She's like, "What? What's happening so, here? Do you need some sort of specific therapy, or
0: you know?" <laughs> I can hear Dan right now yelling. He's like, "You know, it's okay to only buy one, right?" Yeah, like, no, I can hear it. Dan. Yeah, until we get him over in the states again, and he goes, "Like, I'd like one of those." <laughs> <laughs> but they got the cool launch edition that came with a cloth map and all that. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm so
1: pissed about that. What the fuck, UK? Why know. do you get
0: cloth maps when we never do? Yeah, I didn't even get a little. Fucking trinket certificate inside my box, just nothing. I did get some. One of
1: my friends from work picked it up and got it from pre sale from GameStop. So I got the horse whistle from that, but oh yeah, I want the steel book. Yeah, well, so do you know the story about steel books? That there's two of them now, mm-hmm. and so Best Buy promised a steel book. That's this one.
0: I want that. Yep,
1: they sell it on their site for nine bucks now because apparently they had too many of them made. But there is also a steel book inside of your collector's edition that's different. And for I'm not first... opening that, Zach. I know. I'm just saying. But for the for, for the point of reference, like actually the steel book that came from Best Buy does look nicer than the one that came inside the box. So I would uh, highly recommend going to the Best Buy site and picking one of those up for nine bucks. You could probably walk into a Best Buy and grab one for that, and it would be worth it. True
0: interesting cool. yeah we're gonna see if they've got them yep totally so your time. oh yeah you can check stores right now cool
1: <laughs> well see i've spent eric's money and i've only been here for two hours yeah see it so change. yeah we'll have to orchestrate a get together sometime soon i'm uh i'm hoping tom gets settled and then hopefully i can get my place bought and then you'll have your new place and hopefully we'll be in within just a couple hours flight of each other
0: yeah, I'm actually heading up to Toronto uh, a week from today. I'm going to spend a week with Tom. Nice. Actually, no, a week from tomorrow. I'm spending a week with him, helping him get settled in his new digs. You um, knock some holes in so- his walls? Oh, fuck. Yeah, he, has, <laughs> he has no idea.
1: I feel no like that, idea. that site that's, that sells like specifically colored HDMI cables, you just have like a distributor account for. Because I imagine, like, everything is color-coded in your whole knocking life. Like, I just pay people to do that shit, so I'm sure it's all ugly, but.
0: (laughs) I'm just going to walk in with a hammer and just boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Hank Fist has been here. What's this? It's yours now. Now it's mine. You know.
1: (laughs) Today, we're going to learn how to repair a hole in drywall. Seriously, you should just walk into his house and
0: be like, where's the jackhammer?" No? I'll go rent one. It's fine. I'll go rent one. You got a (laughs) pickaxe? Oh, it's going to be a good time. So, yeah, we'll have to orchestrate something, but um, the next few months are going to be real crazy with packing the move. I cannot guarantee the consistency at which shows are going to be released, but hey, you don't listen to us for consistency.
1: No, no, no. We're always on the Facebook site talking shit. We're always in Discord talking, talking shit. So, yeah, we are. Catch one so. of us on Twitch
0: occasionally. <laughs> occasionally. So, uh, I didn't know about you, Zach, watching- but. I I am going to I'm going to go play some Elden Ring. Yeah, same. I don't really have a need to talk anymore. This episode of factory sealed is brought to you by our wonderful patreon sponsors with an extra special thank you to zach folly santos lopez sarah irvine jeremy lucas samuel chan miles prower john weaver jordan lawfree stephanie thomas mcgrew richard cuttress phil gartside mark marcheshi jason mcgill haitani wes rainey sholto dalton Suter, mark haddock colin niblo juliet breslin romano gus robin hesley hattie Elliot Hughes, Aaron Lanning, Brandon Meyer, Cody Halverson, Greg Plummer, Johan Vickerborn, Robert True, Julian Santucci, J.H., Martin, and Thomas L. Roderick.